Welcome to a very special edition of the Sunday Puncher podcast. I have Deuce Rollins here with me. Yo, yo. In the building. In the building. This is the first that we've ever done one of our three men podcasts and have all three men in the building. So I got Deuce here with me. Uh, uh, Angelo, you know, that's obviously me. And we got Jimmy here, burrowed up on the bed. Or like, yeah, he's uh, burrowed up in a blanket. So... Getting the superstar treatment over there. Yeah. He's, I mean, the guy's just living life. You know who's living life today? Brandon Figueroa. Well, actually, Rollins is living life, and we'll get to that later about how we've come to be in the same room. I've actually seen what he looks like, so... I know who the preeminent newsbreaker in boxing is, and it's not a guy with a shaved head, I can tell you that. So, we were both at the Figueroa-Neary fight last night. Brandon Figueroa knocked out Luis Neary with a devastating body shot in the seventh round at the Dignity Health Sports Park, formerly the StubHub Center. Let me ask you this. Did the fight play out like you expected? The pattern of the fight was pretty much exactly how I expected. Um... As far as like Neary coming out, uh, starting fast, and then Brent, the will of Brendan and the physicality kind of ending up dictating the second half of the fight, um, it came to a conclusion a lot faster than I thought. Um, well, can you kind of lay out, and like you, you said this before the fight, you said it after the fight, how did you see the fight playing out? Um, so, um, pretty much all of Brendan's fights... Um, he doesn't necessarily start off dic- dictating the pace, but his durability means that he's going to be there down the stretch. And so, I mean, it was pretty much Neri's going to start fast and try to take him out. Brendan's going to get hit with a shitload of punches. And at a certain point, the fact that Brendan is still there, if he is, Neri's can, Neri physically is going to have to struggle to kind of close out the, the fight down the stretch. And that was really where I thought it was going to get dicey. Is is Neri going to win enough of the first part of the fight to either close the show or come out with a decision and hang on to a decision at the end? And it turned out that Brandon just broke broke him down physically too early in the fight. And Neri didn't even get close to seeing the end of it before he got overwhelmed and obviously hit with a perfect shot. And, uh, you, and you saw that coming? Uh, I saw that pattern coming. I my prediction. I, I said that I could see any of the four victory scenarios: either guy winning by decision or either guy winning by a stoppage. And it was either Neri stops him early when he's lighting him up with all those punches, which he did hurt him in the first round, um, for sure. Uh, or Neri winning the first half of the fight and then Brendan closing the second half of the fight, but Neri Neri's work early in the fight leading to a decision win for him. Or I could have seen. Brandon winning basically in the fashion that he did or if Neri had if Neri had been able to last the full 12 in the the way the fight actually played out I think Brandon would have ended up winning uh, a decision so I could see any of those four things happening um, and so I mean I was wrong on the prediction but I definitely it wasn't a surprise to see how the uh, to, and you were you were correct on the prediction so oh I mean that out. goes without saying shout out I'm typically right on these things tip, tip of the cap tip of the cap there but uh, no, it was definitely not a surprise, the pattern of the fight as it played out, I didn't think. See, the thing is, I, I so I thought Brandon would win. But the thing that shocked me about this fight that I didn't see coming is, when I look at Luis Neri, I don't look at a guy that's going to be stopped. You know, 
for whatever reason, and I, you know, that could have been fool's goal to look at Luis Neri and think, oh, this is a guy that can't be stopped. I mean, we've seen in the past that he'd been dropped before, but this is a guy that keeps coming. He can box. You, I, you obviously think you would have to assume that he picked up some things being with the Reynoso camp, and he kind of showed it a little bit that he could box at times in the fight, but I thought he'd win or Brandon would win, but I just thought that it was going to be solely due to the fact that Brandon could basically work at a pace that nobody else can at 122. And I mean, I didn't think that he was going to have the power to hurt Neary. Like, of the two, and, and I guess this is kind of like the, if you look at the way the fight was built up, one guy was seen as a power puncher, and then the other guy was the guy who, like, took concussive blows to the head, and then still fought for 12 rounds. Like, okay, I didn't see that coming. And so that that was what really shocked me. Like, when he landed the body shot, I had no clue what happened at that moment. I was really confused by why. I mean, it became really evident when Neri's on the floor, like, writhing in pain. Like, okay, yeah, he's probably been hurt with a body shot. But, like, I just, that was not on my, like, you had the four outcomes, I didn't have four outcomes. I had one outcome, and that was... Or actually, I guess I could say two, but one is, like, most likely Brandon wins a decision, but the other outcome is, like, yeah, Neri does stop him because Neri does have punching power. Neri has shown it over the course of his career, and Brandon Figueroa is going to give him plenty of opportunities. Do you think that, though, maybe we didn't give Brandon enough credit coming into the fight i mean that is something that he said he said it all over social media his sister tweeted it out to her instagrammed or whatever that everyone doubted brandon they wrote him off whatever whatever how much truth is there to that i mean i think there's a lot of truth to it i think that that's when i mean brandon has been someone who's looked at as the consensus opinion on him was being fool's gold and that he was someone who was propped up um like being pushed promotionally but that he hadn't supposedly earned it or that pbc yeah, well, that's that's what we're gonna call him, Mr. PVC. But uh, but I definitely think that like the degree with which people were so certain, uh, it seemed like online the consensus was that Nuri was gonna win, even though um, that was an opinion that I agreed with. I thought like the level of dismissiveness around Brandon's chances were kind of ridiculous because people wanted to see him as a class below the top guys at that division, and while that may be true or there may be some truth to that, I should say. Um, that's kind of overlooking the actual like ingredients in the fight, and which is you have a guy who's small for 122, mm-hmm. certainly not big for 122, um, who's going to have to use his firepower to outlast this big, huge Terminator at the weight. <laughs> well, that's not what we were calling him before the fight. He well, was he was more like the T one thousand of like you know you hit him and you make a hole in him but he keeps coming. Well, there was just this perception that that it seemed like Brandon, even though we haven't seen Brandon hurt mm-hmm. or had punished in a way for having the lack of defense that he has, people just assumed that it was going to happen. Right, and it's like mm, there was there that much evidence for that being the fact? No, I think it was a real question. That's why it wasn't necessarily a question of what the fight would look like. But it was a question of who, who what was going to break first, whose will was going to break first, whose physical, like whose body was going to break first, whose chin was going to give in first, and the fact that people were so dismissive of the fact that Brandon's qualities could win out in that in that duel, um, I think it, it plays into just a perception 
that's been with Brandon his whole career was that he wasn't a high ceiling prospect that he wasn't right. going to uh, do these things. He didn't have this fancy amateur background or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's, it's mano a mano. Can I beat you? And so if he can boil down to one twenty two and make it comfortably and be in great shape and outwork guys, like that's something that they're going to have to overcome. And, Neary clearly, I mean, wasn't able to do that. I don't know if he was surprised. Uh, that would be something you'd have to ask him, but I think a I, lot of people were. Well, I, I would assume that Neary's team thought that with his punching power, the fact that he had gone back to his old team after going to Eddie Reynoso and having his knockout streak broken, having perhaps the po- the poorest performance of his, enti- his entire career, coming into this fight with Brandon Figueroa, who looked like he'd never moved his head in a fight before, if anything, you know, they looked at the performance from Omar Figueroa and said, that's what he's been around. Yeah, there's this is a guy that maybe is going to be very easy to hurt and stop in the fight. And they, well, first of all, they were totally wrong. But I'm one of the things I'm thinking of is like, and I think that this is like a wrong way to look at it. Because if you look at this fight, there's no way you look at this and say, oh, well, Luis Neary is just like not that good. He's not world class or anything like that. It's like, no, he got broken down. And he got broken down by, you could say, maybe executing the wrong game plan by trying to, like, well, really falling into what Brandon wanted. But, like, I, I the other side of it where people coming into this, why I think people were wrong is that they looked at some of the big name accomplishments between Neri and Figueroa. And with Neri, you had the two wins over Shinsuke Yamanaka who's like obviously the hipster choice of like, you know, that's a really great win. Never mind the fact that at that point in Yamanaka's career, it was like, yeah, this it's about time that somebody's going to do him in. And Neri was just that guy. He was the perfect combination. And so that's why I think maybe people wrote Figueroa off and didn't consider him to be anything more in this fight than a guy who's just going to make it super entertaining. And he delivered on both fronts, I think. I mean, what do you, what do you think went wrong for Neri? Um, see, that's the thing. It's like you could debate whether he had the right approach, but I think in general he went with what his best. He he fought to his strengths, hoping that they would be good enough, and that was he was going to try to take him out basically in the first four rounds. And as soon as you saw that he. He decided he had to box. I think it was like in the third round or fourth round. Yeah. You knew this is way too early in the fight for this to be happening. Yeah. Like the, the, of the two strategies going against each other, who's going to win? You saw it even that early. While Neri might have been winning the battles, he might have been winning those rounds, he was clearly losing the war way too early in the fight. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I don't think... I think people kind of overrated the ability to wish Neri could outbox Brandon. Like, that's not what Neri was going to do. Neri gets hit way too much. I mean, we saw this when he tried to box like that against Alameda. Do I think that that would have ended any differently? No, because I think he would have got hit so much in the process of doing that right? that he would have just been behind in the fight as it got later anyway, and he would have kind of been in the same predicament, but without the letting off all those bombs like he did in the first three rounds and giving him this chance. I mean, because he definitely did shake up Brandon a little bit um, in the first round, and then um, he kind of shoved him down after that. But that was 
I think that Neri was correct in assuming that that was his best chance to win. It just in what how it actually played out um, wasn't good enough. I wonder if that first round maybe threw Neri's entire game plan off because it's always bad when you think you got a guy hurt in the first round and then you. I mean, it's possible that Neri was just assuming that oh, I can hurt this guy at any time and I can just finish him, and it was you know led to him gassing out, which was. Essentially, after three or four rounds, you look, you could look at him, and he's like, "Oh, he's breathing heavy. He looks like he looks like a guy heading into the eleventh round." And it was early in the fight, and I wonder if he emptied the clip a little too soon because he saw victory uh, in his eyesight, or in his what? What is that? He saw yeah, victory in his eyesight, and that's. I mean, he didn't read your Twitter because if he did, he knew what he was getting with Figueroa. Yeah, that uh, that if, if your game plan is to concuss Brandon Figueroa, you should come up with a new game plan. Um, I mean, I think that that might be true to a certain extent, but um, I would say that like that's who Neri is. I don't think when you say like it got him out of his game plan, I think that that's what he was. No, I think that's what he was going to do anyway. That he was he his primary method of victory was that he thought it, he was going to be able to knock him out and. When that didn't happen, or like then maybe like box and find a way to go to 12 and win. I think that that was like secondary plan. Okay, if we don't get him out of there, that's what we have to do. But I don't think, I don't think even a more measured pace of Neri on like on the night yesterday, I don't think that he would have had a chance. Maybe if they fought again and there was a different level of preparation and. I don't know. Some of the factors changed, maybe, but as of the fight that we saw last night, I don't think, I don't think Neri made a miscalculation in in going for the the, the knockout. I think it just he was he wasn't gonna stop Brandon, and that was the, the essentially the biggest problem because he wasn't gonna win over twelve rounds either. So this is, I think that there's definitely a take out there that maybe some people will give that. If Neri was fighting in a different style, he would have got the win. Or he would have had far more success in the fight. And the style is a more boxing, sort of counterpunching style. And are you saying that you think that if he was still with like Reynoso or something, the result would have been the same? Yeah, I think the result, well, I think he would have won fewer rounds in route to getting stopped, basically. Um, because that's kind of fooling yourself as to who you think Neri is. And also who Neri is going to be at 122 right. in the sense that like Neri was not really used. I mean, maybe he was used to fighting guys slightly taller than him, but not guys that were like physically so much bigger than him, which is going to be the case. I mean, with someone like Brandon at 122, he was going to be exhausting for, for Neri to keep off of him and to fight back enough just to keep off of him. That I think that was a losing strategy for sure. Um, whereas, at least putting everything he had into trying to to get him out of there, it was like, I don't know. It was, it was to a certain extent. I mean, it's kind of a lazy comparison to compare it to Hurd, but to compare Figueroa to Hurd um, at 154 when he was on his winning streak. But it was a little bit of that where it's like, you know, that this guy is going to eventually overwhelm you. And so your best chance is to put up as strong of resistance as possible and see if you can get him out of there because eventually 
he's gonna wear he's gonna walk you down if you don't. And and that plays to to Neri's strengths as a fighter. I think trying to imagine this um, smart boxer who's gonna box cute and box to a decision just because he's training with Eddie Reynoso is miss is kind of misunderstanding who Neri is as a fighter. And always, is, and always has been as a fighter. And this is like a fundamental problem I see with so many boxing fans is that they think when a guy makes it, and I think at this point you could say Neri made it, and he didn't make it up until very recently. Uh, you know, nobody watched him fight Yamanaka. I don't think people remember too much of him from the first one or two PBC cards that he was on. I think... The Charlo pay-per-view was really when people started to... They, they, they learned who Luis Neri was. Then they go back and they look at his box rack and they say, oh, this is a power puncher. All the promotion paints this picture of who Neri is. But what that leaves out is like you actually watching and knowing who this guy is, what this guy's reliable to do in the ring. And like the same thing is like for Andy Ruiz where like a lot of people just saw him fight Dimitrenko. They saw him fight Joshua. They saw him stop Joshua and upset him. And they think, oh, okay, well, this is who Anthony Joshua is. Or sorry, not, not Anthony Joshua. This is who Andy Ruiz is. It's like, if you've actually watched this guy from the start, you would know that, like, that's not the guy who he is. And if he p- turns in a turn of a performance, and it's because he's been mediocre this whole time in his career. But Luis Neri, not to say he's mediocre. That's just one way to put it. Luis Neri is a guy who comes forward, he's an aggressive fighter, and he's going to bet that when he he lands and the other guy lands, his punches will make the bigger uh, impact in the fight. And just unfortunately last night, you think it's it has a lot to do with size, it sounds like you're saying. Um, I mean, not, not to discredit Brendan, I mean, they were fighting like under the same rules. I, I don't mean that um, to say... Like Brandon just won because he's bigger or whatever, because that's like overly re- uh, reductive. But I do think that Neri wasn't going to be able to keep up to his size and pace for 12 rounds. I think that that was maybe something that either Neri hadn't calculated or he did calculate enough to know that I should try and take this guy out in the first half of the fight. And it played out the way it did. Um, but I think it's it, it's a little bit reductive just to say that that Brandon's bigger. I think a lot of it is also about the pace that he pushes mm-hmm. and the style that he fights in, mm-hmm. where he makes you work for every inch, every minute of every round at that larger size where people th- think that they want him to box and that he should be using his his distance. Um, but in reality, he's using his physical advantages in in his own way to be as effective as he is. And that's, I mean, the style that he's developed, that's the style we've seen Omar. Omar has success with when he was in shape enough to be fighting guys who weren't bigger than him. When you say in shape, (laughs) what do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, mean like not boozing too hard in in training (laughs) camp to come in 15 pounds overweight. Um, But I think that's something that people want to use to discredit Brandon. But the fact is, is, the fights happen in the ring. They don't happen looking at your box rack or who's, who looks more impressive or who fights in a way that you think is commendable or not. If a guy is really hard to beat and has these attributes that make him really hard to beat, even if you don't think that he's like a class fighter or that he's so that he has some typical 
um, pedigree that you think should make him a world championship level. Like at the end of the day, you have to win the fight in the ring. And so just because some of these guys who are, have different names in that 122 pound division and have been thought of as more, um, more well, well-respected um, prospects or well respect coming from more, um, more well-respected pedigrees. The fact, the simple fact is, is that you're going to have to do certain things to be Brandon. And one of them is overcome a big, big, strong guy at the weight who's setting a pace that is unmatched um, by anyone else at 120 pounds. Why do you think the Jared Hurd comparison isn't any good? Because I think it is. No, I think it is good. I just think it's kind of anytime you see someone who is large for the weight class, it's like a reductive comparison. Although at least it's comparing a black guy with a white guy. So. Or, <laughs> With with, right, a his, so, with a Hispanic American. So, so you're doing the the NBA NFL analyst thing where you you think that you should only do like same race comparisons. I mean that's just that tends to be like what Luca's you see. only comp is Larry Bird and, and Dirk Nowitzki. Is that what you're doing? Uh, no, I'm I, I'm saying at least I'm not falling into that trap. Yeah, but um, I mean the thing is is I and I saw I mean this is getting into a specific criticism of some people. Um, but I saw like Sean Porter said that, that, um, Brandon shouldn't <laughs> be fighting at 122 anymore and that he couldn't make the weight and all this stuff. Brandon. Uh, Brandon. Yeah. Uh, Sean said that. Yeah. That's what, that, yeah. Sean said that, that he should, was going to miss weight and then he was going to get stopped. <laughs> he said that on his podcast. I only know uh, that because that was one of the things that old takes exposure. Yeah, right there, Brandon, my God. When Brandon posted like the salty, like, see, nobody. Nobody believed me now, but whatever. That was one of the people it that was, I know. That was a subtweet at uh, He was one Sean of them, Porter. for sure. But that seems to be a common thing. I mean, also, like, with Herd at, um, over the years, where people think that they know where the, someone should be fighting more so than the person themselves. And it's like, yeah, Brandon has never... Guilty. Brandon has never had a problem making that weight. And I think sometimes people just want to think that they know more about fighters than fighters know about themselves or right, right, right. know about themselves. Right. And the truth is, is that for as long as Brandon can make that weight, he's going to be, he's going to be, problem. Uh, yeah, he's going to be hell to fight and banking on him, not having a gas tank because he makes that weight mm-hmm. is really betting on something that you think makes sense in your own head. But if you look at the facts of the situation, that's never been the case with Brandon. He's never been someone who's who's like wilted over the second half of fights. Nope. Um, and you, so, if you expect the weight to be a problem, like you're just you're ignoring empirical evidence that it's not. I mean, you look at him; he does not appear to have any struggle whatsoever with making weight. I mean, the guy's always shredded. He's always in shape. You don't see pictures of Brandon out of you know when he's not training for a fight although he's active enough that he's always in camp basically but you don't see pictures where he looks heavy um where does neary go from here because if you talk about a guy that's like you know he he can't be at the way he needs to go up it seems like maybe and again this may be like people trying to say well they know best for Luis neary and, and maybe he can make 118 but doesn't it certainly seems like 118 maybe's for the style that he fights, he now carries an advantage with him if he goes to 118, where he's going to be bigger than a lot of the guys at 118. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think, to be honest, like, 
that was one of the pitfalls of Neri's career is having to decide whether he was going to be able to make that weight or not um, because he it is a big difference for him to be having the what he the power he carried and the aggressive fighting style he had um, going up against 118 pounders versus having to go up against 122 pounders. So I definitely would say, I mean, this has been the case for Neri's whole career, basically, going back um, to even before the Yamanaka fights. If he can make 118, he should be fighting at 118 if, if he can do it comfortably. I mean, that, that would be the natural answer, but that's also the answer that we've said about him for years now, and ultimately he was unable to do it enough that he ended up needing to fight at 122 and choosing to fight there. So... If we're talking about where should he go next, I, I would go back to that same question. If he can make 118 and he wants to rearrange his life in a way to do that, um, as far as like training and and dietitian and all that stuff, that would, be, that would be that would be that would be the number one solution or like piece of recommendation I'd have. But assuming that he can't, because the evidence shows that he hasn't been able to thus far, I think that he still is a viable player at 122. I think it's a really tough style matchup to fight Brandon. And just because, like, Brandon is a creative fighter or like a creative player in a video game who's really lopsided skill set. Like, his, all of his points have gone to like stamina and used on like the extra height and, and work rate and heart and, and, and so and he's chin. just like, he's got a very, yeah, and chin. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't necessarily think that just because Neri couldn't, his his approach didn't work at beating Brandon that he's just thrown on the scrap heap. But there is something to a fighter who fights with the knowledge or the belief that his power and his aggressiveness is enough to dominate the will of his opponent that once that's shattered, it is a question of how he's going to come back. And that doesn't even take into consideration the physical beating that he took, which was pretty substantial, um, especially towards that seventh round, it his face got bad looking real quick, and he yeah. looked. You could see that coming. That I mean, he ended up getting hit with a with a um, a shot that he couldn't get up from. But he was honestly kind of like it was a blessing in disguise because he was, even if he got his ass beat for another three rounds, he was not making it out of that fight. <laughs> he was gonna it was gonna get stopped. Uh, and that was pretty apparent from the seventh round. So in in some ways, just getting hit, hit with one nice body shot kind of might have saved him from taking further beating, especially like to the head, because um, his eye was real. His eye went from not bad to bad real fast in that seventh round, and he was gonna be taking shots. Um, so I would say I wouldn't I wouldn't give up on his future at 122 if he even if he can't make 118. Um, but you'll have to kind of bring him back and get his confidence back. Um, and then you can throw him right back in the mix and PBC 122. They got a lot of good fights. That's the thing, um, though, is that I always wonder in a fight like this where, like, every fighter in their team is confident, but I think they were really confident about this one. I think that they, like, this was the matchup where, like, if it was the most important fight of Neary's career, I think. It wasn't the Yamanaka fight. I think it was this one because there was so much riding on the future. But also, they just looked like the fight that they were confident that they could win. And not only could could they win, they could make the statement that they wanted to make. And they couldn't do it. And I think Neri's will got broken in this fight. He stepped in, had the war, had a war of attrition with Brandon. And Brandon met him at every step. 
and then took him to a place that Neri wasn't re- wasn't ready to go to. And so I say all that to say I'm really curious to say to see where Neri goes next and if we can see this like if this doesn't take anything out of him because these kind of fights they take something out of you. And I wonder if Neri you know goes in there with a little bit of a fractured confidence and is he willing to go through another war like this? Or is he going to keep getting dragged into these types of wars because he, I don't know, for whatever reason, he can't pull the trigger or something. And that's, I mean, it makes his the future of his career really interesting because he's obviously still got a lot of talent. Um, watching this fight play out, do you think, like, obviously we knew the winner was going to fight Stephen Fulton and we can get into why that is. Um, it's very clear that there's not a, there's no secret as to why this fight is next already scheduled. But did Brandon's performance change how you thought a potential fight between him and Stephen Fulton would play out? Um, ironically, no. And it's not because I... The same questions that I had going into the the Neri Figueroa fight, essentially I have the exact same questions, just it's, it's slightly, I mean, obviously a different opponent. And so there's different factors at play. But it's like, Brandon is this unique type of fighter where he has really unique skills and a really unique talent set. And it's a matter of can person X walk through that and be victorious. And so just like I could see four different outcomes for the Neri fight, right off the bat, just thinking about the Fulton fight, I think it's the same sort of thing. I mean, I think we saw with the Angela Leo fight a little bit more evidence that Fulton would be able to handle someone with pressure the way that Figueroa will bring. Um, we maybe didn't have that facsimile with Neri, so it was a little bit more of a total mystery. But even then, if you think about Leo compared to Figueroa, I think you're thinking about, you're, you're comparing someone who has a certain skill set that is, I'm not going to say ordinary, but it's not, it's, it's not something that's impossible to prepare for. Whereas I think when you look at Brandon, he is more along the lines of like impossible to prepare for. It's it's impossible to see whether the physicality of Fulton is going to be broken by the pace and the physicality of, of Brandon without seeing them in the ring together. And so, I mean, I would still say essentially the same sort of breakdown as the Neary fight um, with Fulton as far as I, I don't think Brandon can win, but if... I can see how he would win, and if it happened, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, I think my opinion hasn't changed, and my opinion is that Fulton's in trouble. And the reason for that is Fulton showed in the Leo fight, who, Leo's a good fighter. Let's let's give him his credit. He's a good fighter. I don't think he's Brandon Figueroa. I think Leo can do some things, but he had zero ideas on the inside once plan A was out the, out the window. And so I think if Fulton thinks that he could fight on the inside with Brandon, it's, it's, it's about to be over for him. I, I really don't think that he's going to be able to fight on the inside for 12 rounds and like outwork him. And I know that Fulton showed that he, is, he can fight on the inside. I don't think he can fight like Brandon Figueroa on the inside. And I don't think he can do it for 12 rounds. I do remember Stephen Fulton being hurt in that fight with Leo late in the fight. That, and so I think it's going to come down to, can he box 
well for at least seven rounds in that fight. Mm-hmm. He's going to need to box well for seven rounds because you just saw Neri got dragged into a fight that even he wasn't ready for. And he was ready to go to war. He still yeah. wasn't ready to go to war like the way Brandon Figueroa can. Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, is with Fulton is like, I am conflicted on how I feel about him. I, I feel like some of what I saw in the Kagai fight was him being very uncomfortable with being pushed around physically. But then he ended up making an adjustment and finishing strong. And then I was surprised at the success that he was having with Leo style. But then it, there was also a level of, is this the smartest way that you can, like, you can beat Leo doing this, but does that mean this is the smartest way that you should be fighting necessarily? And right. it's hard to say because it could be he knew he could beat him that way, and so that's how he chose to fight. It might not be an indicator of what's to come in the future. But I am i haven't seen enough against anyone that gives me an idea or or true, like, real confidence that Fulton isn't going to get overwhelmed in a similar way when Figueroa puts that pace on him for that period of time in those rounds. So yeah, I definitely, I have very little doubt that Fulton can win seven rounds. Do I have confidence that he can win seven rounds and finish 12 rounds and finish 12 rounds while doing it? That is all. I mean, that's ultimately the question. And, or, I mean, it's another one where I could see it going where Fulton starts strong enough, but Brandon ends up where he doesn't he doesn't need to stop him because he dominates the second half of the fight so much. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's really it's poised on the same knife's edge as the Neri fight. Maybe slightly more. You give Fulton slightly more credit for being a more clever boxer, and definitely, if people want to argue that someone should outbox Brandon by being clever and not trying to beat him out of war, your argument is much better served for saying that that's, what, that's the approach that Fulton should take because that is something that I think Fulton is much more equipped to do than Luis Neri is. But it's an open question as to whether whether it's going to happen. I mean, I think it'll be the same sort of thing as the lead-up to this fight where people will think Fulton's going to win, the narrative will be Fulton's going to win, it's, it's going to win, and then it gets to fight week and it gets a couple days out of the fight and all of a sudden it's like, the odds are tightening. Who's it? Because... Oh shit, when we actually really think about it, we don't know what this is going to look like when they both get in the ring together and have to go rounds. And what is he going to do against this Skeletor freak, Brandon Brandon Figueroa, relentlessly chasing him down for 12 rounds? Here, Here's something I was thinking about, is that when you have fighters, they come off a win over somebody with a name, somebody who's recognized as one of the top fighters in the world. I think that personifies Luis Neri. Do you think Brandon has gotten the rub that if you ask people, is Brandon Figueroa a good fighter? They'd actually say, yeah, he's he's a he's a very good fighter. I feel like Brandon still has that I at least in my looking at social media today, uh looking at the chat, I don't think anybody's looking at Brandon Figueroa today and thinking of him as like this elite fighter. Even though he's on the cusp of having two two wins at 122 that are better than a lot of win guys who are around the pound for pound list or on the pound for pound list better than the wins that they have in their own division we are on the cusp of that and i don't think brandon figueroa is looked at in the same way and it probably is because he gets hit with a lot of punches yeah i mean i think it's going to be the same the same thing as as i mean 
like once again this comparison to Jared Hurd, but it was like how many wins did Jared Hurd have to have before people actually gave him like gave him credit for like wow he's we actually have to just rate him, and I mean ultimately it was he beat Harrison that wasn't enough mm-hmm. he he stopped Trout which mm-hmm. nobody else had done that wasn't enough, and it ultimately came to the Lara fight to win he finally got his credit, um, and ironically as soon as people started to think that he was. He was by far the best, and having confidence in him winning, that was when he finally got upset by Jillian Williams. And so I, I do think there's a little bit of that. But I have to say also that, like, I get it, because that was me analyzing Jared Hurd. I was like, wait, I just saw Austin Trout beat the shit out of him until Austin Trout got stopped. Austin Trout got stopped because with, it took so much energy to You haven't to, seen that with Figueroa, though. Figueroa hasn't been beaten up in a fight, and then he came from behind. That That's not the gimmick. Yeah, um... Okay, Neri beat him up. Well, in I was gonna say, round. I mean, Neri, Neri was getting the better of the exchanges with within the rounds. I thought. I mean, I thought Neri was at worst. At worst, it was three three. I thought. Um, I thought it was probably more like four two. Neri. I know there was one scorecard yeah. that had Brandon winning four two. Um, there was one that so, had him five uh, five one for Neri. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think, but I don't think that's crazy. I think five one four two three three. I could see any of those. Yeah, I, yeah. I I didn't look at what rounds they had. Um, I, I for, didn't see Brandon ahead. Yeah, but but it was one of those. I think I mentioned this comparison earlier, but he was Neri was winning the battles, but but Brandon was winning the war. He was turning it into yeah, the fight yeah. that he wanted, and he was. I mean, he was dragging Neri. Into a fight that Neri wasn't going to be able to win, right? Um, and so, I think, I think there will be a little bit of, and because Neri is a less than popular figure um, in traditional boxing circles, I think there'll be a tendency to view this as a condemnation of Neri more mm. so than yep. more so than an accomplishment by Brandon. I mean, I, I think people will give him a certain amount of credit, but to me. The two best wins in this division on anybody's resume are Fulton dominating Leo and and Brandon stopping Luis Neri. I think though and I don't think that those two fighters, Fulton mm-hmm. and Figueroa, are looked at as the top two. I gotta well, okay. And so and so not to say that they have to be, but I do think that that perception might be something that not as many people like share and i think brennan probably deserves a lot more credit than he's going to get so from this victory the the winner of fulton and figueroa does that become the clear number one guy at 122 i i think yes without without reservation i think that there are some people who are gonna maybe hold on to this idea that akmadaliev is number one and you can think that that's but because ramon had a very impressive performance on the undercard doesn't that elevate the stock of akmadaliev i mean i don't i think ramon's performance was impressive but not i don't think that that i know i don't make that connection at all in the sense that ramon did a good job of delivering a satisfying victory that was entertaining against an entertaining fighter but i don't necessarily think that that's one that's going to go like on Roman's resume proving that like oh this is an elite win for him. I think it was more so like a well matched competitive fight that he really performed well in. But um, I think that winning a razor close decision over Roman in 
the fashion that Akhmedaliev did was good enough to say that he's one of the top guys in the division. But if that, if you're, and I don't value the Iwasa win at all. I just, people will say that he was on the ring magazine list. And so that win no, matters. Iwasa was, is just so bad. And, uh, I don't view it that as anything that's impressive or the, the beatdown was impressive, but the win itself wasn't that impressive. Yeah. And I mean like the concerts between fights on that just, no, that right. That has nothing to do with Akhmedali. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it sucked, but it, you know, I'm not going to hold that against him. He, he didn't book that shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Um, but I think that, I mean, I think Fulton is the number one guy in the division right now. I already think that. And I think Figueroa is the second number two guy in the division right now. Wow. And I think that that's just based, I mean, people can say that, that I'm sure like we get, uh, or I specifically get um, a little bit of shit for being maybe not um, having favorites or whatever. But that's also just the truth is that there are certain people in this division that are putting on performances in the most important fights of their careers that are worthy of taking notice of. And that's not to say that what Akhmedaliyev did is not um, impressive and that he isn't the unified champion and whatever. You can give him his props. But I do think that the two most impressive guys and the two most um, rated wins in this division belong to Fulton and Figueroa. So naturally, the winner will have, I think, the two best wins in the division. And, I mean, certainly will be the number one. I put out a tweet um, kind of jokingly including that the fight would be for the lineal title. And I got a little bit of pushback, but not a lot. I think mainly because people probably didn't notice that yeah, I slipped well, that in there. Or mainly that people don't care as much. Yeah, but it's it's totally not. I mean, on BoxRec, it's the, the top two rated guys. I'm sure that they won't be the top two rated in the ring or the TBRB or whatever. Well, I mean... If you care about stuff like that. But I really do think that if you are not going to give the winner of Fulton Figueroa credit as the top guy at the weight, then we should just stop acting like fights matter because in the ring, the person who wins that fight is going to have the most credible argument to say that they're the number one guy, 22 pounds in the world, 122 pounds in the world. Yeah. And the wins between the two of them now at this point that you add them up and it's like, okay, that's a, a pretty fair picture of who is at 122 and like that there's enough wins between the two of them that matter they say okay well these are the this is the winner here is number 1 Danny Roman um i i feel like and we'll go quick on this undercard cuz we've gone really long here but i i think you know it's possible we're sleeping on Roman there's an argument to be made that that Akhmedalia fight should have been a draw that maybe Roman edged it, edged it out like if you listen to the commentary it's it's one of the I think the shiny examples of just how easily commentary could change public opinion or the fact that very few people actually watch this shit and the people who did just listen to the commentary mostly and didn't watch the fight. Yeah. But like Roman performed really well against Akhmedaliev and he's a guy that 100%, I mean, I cannot think of a guy who agreed to unify titles and he he came on the, the, the wrong end of a close decision and didn't get a rematch. Yeah. And now you got this guy toiling away on these undercards, fighting Ricardo Espinoza and Juan Carlos Payano. Um, I mean, I think at this point, I know Roman's going to try to wait for that WBC shot against uh, Figueroa now. But if well, that... it sounds like he wanted he he wants to prevent the Fulton fight from happening, which I don't think 
is going to happen. Well, it's not because he has until September 26th to get that. Or they have until 126 to make the fight. But if they have a fight before that, I think they extend it. Yeah, yeah. As far as like what the sanctioning body will allow him to do or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think... I think the way that Roman is set up, he's kind of been dealt um, the low, the worst hand as far as like he's at the least leverage for someone who's kind of accomplished what he has, um, all things considered, just from like a promotional perspective. But now that he's aligned with PBC, I mean, they're gonna they can stay getting him another fight, maybe on that undercard um, in the same sort of fashion that he did tonight, have a dominant performance or have a win, and then come out and say I get the winner, and I think. I mean, I think that that's that's probably what I would choose to do is to wait is to wait around and see if you can fight for the WBC, WBO, and WBA titles um, coming out of Fulton Figueroa, whoever the winner is, asking for that fight. About a year ago, I tweeted out that when the smoke clears, it could be that Brandon Figueroa emerges from all these guys at 122. You know, Neri, Fulton, Akhmadaliev. But, like, Danny Roman could have the last laugh. Like, could you theoretically see him beating either Akhmadaliev or the winner of Fulton and Figueroa? I mean, I could definitely see him beating Akhmadaliev because I, he easily could have won the first fight. Right. And um, I don't. I think it's very, very easy, easy to say that um, he could get the nod if, if they were to go uh, round two with that. Um do I think I don't know? It's a really interesting question because it's hard to answer if he could. I, I think he, the answer is yes, it's possible. But could he beat Fulton or Figueroa? I think we'll get a fuller sense of who the most complete fighter is in the division or who the most difficult to beat fighter is in the division with seeing how that fight plays out, Fulton and Figueroa. And so, without seeing that, like, like let's just say, for example, if Stephen Fulton shows that he can set a pace in the ring and prevent Brandon from setting his own pace um, and and just thoroughly fight a masterclass performance and come out of the victory, then it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I think that Fulton maybe has elevated to a level where Roman is like the hall of very good and maybe... And maybe... Uh, the hall Fulton, of very good. <laughs> Fulton is like in the class above that. Um you know, or it's or maybe Figueroa just physically walks through Fulton and stops him, and it becomes a question of do I think Roman has more resistance to give than Fulton? Maybe not. So I think it's hard to say right now um, that I see him as coming out of this as the number one guy to one twenty two. But it's also there's no definitive evidence I think to say that he can't. I think yeah, I I just think that like I look at this and I'm like. The Ramon that I've seen, and I've seen him fight several times over the course of his career, you know, I, I've got a full picture of what Daniel Ramon brings in the ring. And I look at this, I'm like, I don't know that he, I, I, I actually, if I look at all the guys in the division, Figueroa is a nightmare matchup for him. Because Espinosa last night gave him hell until he kind of gassed out. Mm-hmm. That's not happening with, with Brandon. I think he could beat Fulton if if the cards, you know, get dealt right. And I, I just think it'd be hilarious if he becomes a two-time unified champion uh, when all is said and done here. Anyway, let's move on to Xavier Martinez. We won't say too much on this. Uh, I'll ask you this question, though. So it was a pretty competitive fight. And yet the crowd booed when the cards were read. 
when I thought that Xavier Martinez clearly won that fight. Like, Burgos deserves a lot of credit. The dude took some shots. He landed some shots. He threw a lot of punches. He showed that, yet again, he was not about to be stopped. Um, what was the crowd booing for? Well, I think that... Is it because you... Uh, Xavier Martinez was doing that Mayweather shit? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that there's a there's a bit of belief, um, uh, a negative connotation when you're getting like a full Mexican audience and you're the guy who's with the Mayweather shit. Uh, so to explain, we were at the fight and within earshot of us, this guy kept yelling out during Neri and Figueroa that this is real fighting and it's none of this Mayweather shit. And he did this over... Like, he did it, I think, every round. Yeah. When we say, like, over and over, it was like, he literally said it every round. Yeah. Yelling over and over. And even after the fight, he he he, uh, he, he gave his final uh, general take on this, which, you know, was only, like, about 12 words. But you get the gist here. But, um, but I mean, I think the crowd thought that it was, like, a close fight. Or that they respected the work that Burgos put in. So it was more so the unanimous scorecards being 9-1. That I think was... I mean, in a similar fashion to Ruiz Ariola. I think if there had been different scorecards, they might have reacted differently. Um, and to a certain extent, that I saw the fight as being slightly closer than that. Yeah. There was a lot. But there was it was hard to kind of judge because Burgos just threw so much to the body that... It was hard to see whether those shots were not scoring or whether they weren't being scored. Um... But a lot of his work was like shoeshine, sort of, I'm going to land punches and try to look like I'm winning the fight. Whereas Xavier Martinez was a little bit um, fighting to, to, to set up those really nice, sharp counter shots where he was, he could definitely make the argument, and I'm assuming this is what the judges saw, that he was doing some, by far the more accurate, cleaner, more effective punching. But in a situation where you're just looking at two guys and you're saying who's dictating the pace of this fight, it wasn't always apparent, at least especially earlier on, that it was Xavier Martinez's like clear, effective punching that was dominating it. And so, I mean, that's how the, that's why they got the reaction in the crowd. Um, but I thought he handled it pretty well. I said that you guys enjoyed the fight. I don't know what you're bitching about. And that was very true. It was true. There were a lot of moments where everybody was like, people you know. Were, people were thoroughly entertained through that fight. So yeah. to boo at the end because of the wideness of the scorecards is kind of silly, of course. But what are you going to do? I See, the thing with I think with, with Martinez in the fight is that he, present, he didn't make it obvious that Burgos's punches weren't landing or that they weren't scoring. But his defense is like predicated on, on Burgos landing on non-scoring areas. So he's landing on arms, landing on shoulders. Uh, he's just missing up upstairs, and I think from far away, like and, and, which is not that far at at the stub of or Dignity Health Sports Park. But you know, ignore that. I think from the other side, it looks like those punches are landing, and that they, those should be scoring shots, and it just wasn't. I think Xavier Martinez showed he's a pretty decent fighter. I don't know if I was I would go so far as to say he's good. I think there are problems with them, namely punching power. But, like, I don't know if Burgos is the right guy to gauge that because apparently this dude's got a brickhead and ain't nobody stopping him. Mikey couldn't do it. Lee Selby couldn't do it. Actually, I don't know if he actually fought Lee Selby or not. I made that up. Let's just check. Do you know if he fought Lee Selby? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, 
so do you think Xavier Martinez versus Leo Santa Cruz is the the, the right next move for him? Um, you mentioned this. I I, I, I keep I don't, mentioning it. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I think Leo's going to one twenty six. Back to one twenty six. So, uh, wouldn't until we get clarification on that. Um, I don't see why this is the fight that he seems so enamored with. But at the same time, in the ring, it would be a really entertaining style matchup. The quick sales pitch in this fight. Okay. One. Okay. Leo Santa Cruz needs to get back fight after you know the uh, unfortunate events in the tank fight. Okay. Two. Xavier Martinez is promoted by Mayweather Promotions. They are known to tough their guy or uh, to match their guys very tough. Three, Xavier Martinez, you don't know what you have with him, but it's quite possible that Xavier Martinez, if he's good, could be a star. And you need new young guys here in the sport of boxing. We are, you know, if you think of like all of our favorite guys right now, all the most popular guys, all the top pound for pound guys, they're all on the other side of thirty. Okay. You have Tank and Tiafimo, and like what else? You know, Virgil's not there. People are still waiting for boots. Boot, isn't there boots? But yeah, it's it's all guys that are coulds. Coulds not not already there. Xavier Martinez is twenty three years old. Maybe Mayweather uh, Promotions is like, look, we you know we owe it to Leo that he took that fight with Tank when he uh, knew that he was going up against the biggest puncher in, in boxing outside of Deontay Wilder, and he really paid the price. I think like it's a, a fair fight to make. I think it's a fair fight to make. I mean, if Leo's going to stay at 130, it makes as much sense as anything else. Do you think Xavier Martinez could hurt Leo? That's the other thing. I think also you, you don't want to put Leo back in there with the, you know, because you care about, you know, brain health and all that stuff. You don't put him in there with another big puncher at 130. I mean, I think the evidence is looking, leaning towards Martinez is not as big of a puncher as he might maybe appear to be at one point as a prospect. And I think that brings his ceiling down as far as the ceiling of his career um, quite a bit. The question is just, we need to see him in enough, in more fights with guys who are close to the world level or on the world level and to see whether maybe he's just not been able to show it yet or maybe he's not, he's putting things together as a fighter and he's going to, have a complete performance when he gets to the that his world title fight or whatever fight that really tests him maybe it would be like a leo santa cruz fight but the power that he showed in some of those um fights coming up it doesn't appear after the marrero fight and after the burgos fight it's hard to say that he is the type of knockout puncher that he was and so the, the only thing that changes is okay well his career progression at one point as a prospect was, okay, this guy is going to be a power puncher at 130 and he's going to be a big puncher for this division and he's going to be a problem. And so if that's not going to be the case, then there's just a lot more question marks about what he is going forward. Is he going to be good enough to outbox guys, um, to hit and not get hit, to sit in the pocket and be able to land those clean, effective counters enough to win rounds and become an elite fighter at 130? And that's a lot more of an open question. So I think that's what maybe you would learn with a fight like um, Leo Santa Cruz. But to me, it looks like that is what we have in Xavier Martinez, which is a good fighter. He's clearly on that level of borderline world class or like opponent for a world title. Um, But at 23, is he going to take that next step 
or is he going to be another guy who's kind of like a B-side, um, a guy who's good enough to get into the big fight and then take his losses and eventually um, be kind of like a tester? I don't know. It's still The jury's still out on him, but I would say it's trending more towards that for me as far as my opinion on him, which maybe maybe 12 or 18 months ago I would have, I would have given you a more... A positive prognosis on him as a prospect well i mean prior to the claudio marrero fight everyone like thought xavier was like this flying under the radar but very explosive prospect and since he's graduated from that prospect stage you look at what he's done he hasn't hurt a single person well he's only had two fights but it didn't appear that he had either guy on the ropes at any point in time even though Burgos maybe looked at some point or at some points yesterday that he had felt the shots, I don't think he was ever on the verge of getting stopped in that fight. And the question is, is that just Burgos being Burgos or is right. that an indictment of Martinez's power? And it's hard to say necessarily. And I wonder like if we are going to be in that conversation where we're like this with some fighters, we're like they're like twenty seven years old and we're still having the same conversation about them that we had when they were twenty three, which is like, are they gonna develop? Are they going to learn to do this or add this to their game? Are they going to start mixing up their punches? You know, and I feel like Xavier Martinez could be one of those guys. And I don't want to doubt him. I don't want to be, you know, on his sister's Instagram story in a few years about how I doubted him. And I said that, you know, he, he couldn't really hang. But like, we need to see another step from him. And I think he's still trying to fight these guys like they're the showbox level of opponents. And he's he's getting by. But, like, is he making a statement? Not exactly. And is is he preparing himself to be in there with the next level of guy? Like Leo above? Santa Cruz. Yeah. And, I mean, I do think I do think the way that he managed to ride out the end of that Marrero fight and really not lose faith that he was going to win, basically. I mean, like, he recovered physically from the knockdowns. Yeah. And then he won the, the second portion of that fight or, like, the latter rounds of that fight. And I think that that tells you something about how he may respond when he gets to that fight where he's really like to push to the limits. That part was impressive to me, but that's more of like an intangibles thing and like a kind of who you are in moments of real um, uh, adversity. That part of it, I think he's he's shown somewhat that he's kind of uh, maybe ready to be um, a top level fighter, but the question is really, is he going to be able to retool himself? Cause he's gotten to the world level as a prospect being one type of fighter. And now I think he should have learned by after these two fights that he needs to be another type of fighter in order to be a world champion. Mm-hmm. And the question is, is whether he's going to, whether he knows that how with the degree to which he knows that how much work he's going to put in under that and then how he'll respond or will he just try the same things over and over and eventually um, be a guy who's uh, a not quite panning out prospect. Um, So the jury's still out. I'm definitely not writing him off, but we know a lot more about where his potential lies than maybe we did while he was just knocking guys out with one punch on show logs. I I would say it looks like thus far he's at a little plateau period where both of the performances were just like, okay, like we get you, we, you're good, but like you got to do more. Uh, any final thoughts on like, you know, being there live 
Maybe you want to talk about what Seb- Sebastian Fundora looks like in person. Um, Sebastian Fundora might have been like the only guy at the fights that was taller than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe tells you something about what the uh, demographics were of the uh, of the fans in attendance. But uh, They were all children? Um, I wouldn't say children. I would say there was a large Hispanic audience. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Fundora, <laughs> big guy. Big guy. Uh, him and... Uh, David Benavides and Team Sampson were there. Um, we saw Gabriela Fondora's uh, pro debut. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty entertaining fight. Actually, there was a quite a few fans for both her and for her opponent there. So that was pretty cool to see in person. She uh, fights exactly like Sebastian Fondora. She's like a 5'9", 115-pound girl version of Sebastian Fondora, which will be interesting to see. I mean, uh, her going forward, but... Um, yeah, that was off TV. So for anybody who was, um, wondering, wondering what that looked like, it was exactly what you think it would probably look like. Um, as far as being there in person, I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was nice to, uh, get out and do something after the pandemic. This is the first, uh, time that I've really, uh, traveled or gone to do anything. So it was nice to, uh, come see the big, Luis Neary, Brandon Figueroa fight. I'm sure that's what everyone else would have probably been interested in uh, going to, too. So did you burn your, like, Team Neary uh, headband after the fight? <laughs> no, man. I'm, I'm, still, uh, I'm still a fan of Luis Neary. Uh, I thought... I was, I was proud of the way he fought in the sense that, like, that was what we expected from yeah. him. I wouldn't ask for him to fight differently. And I also... I mean, that was... That was the that gave us the information we need about uh, Brandon Figueroa as well. So I feel like that was that was the type of fight where I get if people just don't like Neri because of thinking that he's a cheater or just having a negative opinion of him, that's fine. Like you can like have that sort of troll response because I do that to fighters I don't like too. So I get that. But as far as like what we saw in the ring and everything, I don't think that there's anything negative to say really about either guy. Other than like they gave us a great fight and we I mean learned yeah. more, we learned more about the 122 pound division and about Brandon Figueroa and uh, I mean I'm excited to see it going forward but I mean it really does need to be said that there was a lot of hype around that fight for what it could have been and I think it well, exceeded let's, it let's 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 just say back to the Fred Garvin conversation of is this fight a big fight or not this fight was not did not make a blip as far as like. Right, being outside of hardcore boxing fans, but within hardcore boxing fans, I think people saw this card as being really well matched and and prepared for entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I do think in in that sense, yeah, it definitely delivered. I think anyone, um, I'd be curious to get people's feedback about how it came across on television. But just being there in person, I thought, yeah, we definitely. You do definitely, know we definitely, rewatched the fight, right? Do you remember? Oh, the main event. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> we watched that. Uh, oh, okay, the full card you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Just, well, just people had the... Um, I think we're excited for a action-packed card, and I felt like... It delivered. It delivered on that. Um, well, there was literally a guy who was biased who, during the Neary fight, uh, called somebody up and, and was telling them, put it on Showtime. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was that kind of fight. Yeah. In like the second or third round of the of the main event, yeah, he called up. And there was, I mean, there was a there was some pro Neri energy in the in the building. And oh, like, that was think, a lot. 
I think Figueroa really earned the respect of the fans that were there too. So, to Wait. the extent that which this this event that was headlined by a 122 pound title fight made any impact, um, I think it was it will further Brandon's career, and I mean certainly go down as like a fight fans a a, a quality card for fight fans that we're looking for just entertaining boxing, not necessarily like something that was going to break through to, to a larger audience. And I don't think anybody expected that. Like, I don't think even if we were talking to Steven Espinoza, he's going to tell us that he had any reservation or, well, there was no delusion that anybody had about how far this card was going to reach. I mean, there was the offhand chance that maybe Brandon Figueroa was going to bring in something from having so many opportunities to fight on Fox where, I mean, you could say that, but also if you actually do your research, you know that Brandon's fought mostly on pay-per-view undercards in FS1. He's mm-hmm. actually probably never fought on Big Fox. Yeah. And so you don't even have that where, like, you know, did Brandon ever have a million people watching him fight on the undercard of something? It's like, no, he didn't. And then, obviously, Luis Neri is in a very similar situation where he fought on... He's literally exclusively fought on pay-per-views. Well, and his biggest fights of his career, if you were going to know him for winning big fights it was fight two fights in japan right and then since then yeah he's fought on pay-per-view undercards so. which like 30 of you watched like even today so i mean the, i think that's clearly the card of the year so far is probably it's going to be hard to top i think like you there it's hard to top the excitement of lower weight class fights where you have this level of back and forth because I mean, you're just not going to see a fight like this at 168. These dudes aren't built to land like that for seven rounds. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's move on. We'll talk about Chris Lovejoy. He ended his undefeated knockout streak. He lost in the second round to Manuel Char. This seemed to have caught a lot of traction, despite not appearing to be very important of a fight. Um, I I don't... I don't... We're not going to talk about it specifically, but I just want to get... Your take, like, do you even know who Chris Lovejoy is? Um, I kind of get him... Some of these, like, meme heavyweights are like, do they really exist or not? I know, like, for a while it was Trevor Bryan. And sometimes I kind of confuse some of them. Because <laughs> they're all, like, these this weird, like, Don King issues of press release saying a fight's going to happen that doesn't happen. Yeah. But then it does happen, and then there's four different dates for it and whatever. Uh, so, no, I think it's, like, I... Had I mean I know okay he's a guy who appears to have a, a very fake record uh, with knockouts in Mexico or correct like, or did any of this really happen or not correct and he had been scheduled to fight a bunch of times like in the UK and stuff do you know that um there's literally only footage of one of Chris Lovejoy's fights um I didn't know that but that doesn't surprise me uh, it, Tim Boxdale is the only one that has actual vid- video footage of a uh, Chris Lovejoy fight. Well, apparently he got stopped in the second round. We did, we did see that. Neither as... one of us, I think, saw the fight. Um, we watched the clip. Oh, well, that beats me because I don't remember much. <laughs> oh, yeah, you definitely don't remember. Yeah. But you, I, I definitely showed it to you. Um, but... And you said, which one is Chris Lovejoy? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just another. It's like, yeah, it's the memes of boxing. It's like, okay. Char hasn't some, some people some people found that interesting it's kind of like hashtag boxing like there's a certain level of like 
we love how ridiculous our own little little world we live in called hashtag boxing um, is. And so there's some level of interest for it, but I doubt we'll ever hear his name again. And I don't think I'll be any worse off for it. <laughs> um, Char hadn't fought in like a few years after being like shot, you know. So there's, there's a lot of things going for this fight. Anyway, let's continue on with the, the hashtag boxing uh, stories. And we'll talk about Tyson Fury posted a video. And if you guys have noticed, we've like really avoided talking about this topic altogether. And the reason for that is that it just seems like there's just the waters are far too muddy in the whole Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder situation that it almost seems like a waste of time to talk about it because by next week, your take is probably like old and useless at this point. But I think we're at a point now, it seems like we're building towards the crescendo and we we're, we are going to get some resolution at some point. And so Tyson Fury posted this video that confirms that a deal with Anthony Joshua was going to go through. But last week, there was news that the arbitration with Wilder um, would be coming soon where they would then be free to make the fight, which kind of flies in the face of a lot of what we've heard that Tyson Fury is free to make this fight. But it seems like that was an admission that this arbitration between Fury and Wilder was actually holding up the fight happening. And the conclusion would be as soon as Monday. Then Mark Kriegel tweeted out when everybody thought that, okay, well, we finally got basically the green light here. Mark Kriegel tweeted out and says, nah, the contracts still have not been signed. Then Bruce Trampler, who um, works for Top Rank, had went on a potentially drunk rampage on Twitter. I don't know. But um, in addition to basically saying uh, that they are unwilling to pay for Terrence Crawford fights, he said that Fury has a July pay-per-view, which conflicts with all the dates around Fury Joshua, which states that it is going to be an August fight, specifically August 14th. Um, so yeah, if we look at this from like both sides, like there's a scenario where the fight happens. There's a scenario where the fight doesn't happen. So let's start with the positive. From the perspective, uh, from the perspective that this is finally going to happen, we will get Fury versus Joshua. Like, how does it make sense here? Um, I mean, if we just believe the line of of thought that has been put out basically by both sides and really initially came from, from Top Rank and Bob Arum and then uh, over the last few months has been really strongly represented in the media by Eddie Hearn, is that the, there was never anything stopping this fight to happen and it was just a matter of securing the deal and getting everyone agreed and that's everyone knows it's not an easy thing especially when you're dealing with some going to some foreign place and how are we going to get all of the networks and etc etc to agree so apparently it just took a long time i guess if that's what ends up happening you can believe that that was all true um yeah but the way that it's played out the timing of it with having resolution with the Fury Wilder situation just so conveniently timing up with them being able to finalize this fight. It seems like there's probably some sort of connection there, but um, I mean, if the fight gets made, I mean, more power to them, then we'll have 
we'll have the undisputed title fight and I don't know, Eddie Hearn will be over the moon and you know, congrats. I don't know, it'll be it'll be uh it'll be a big fight. I mean, you know, it's the undisputed championship of the world. Won't be the biggest fight of all time, which Tyson Fury uh asserts. It certainly won't. I mean, the the site fee isn't even matching what Floyd has gotten paid for some fights. But putting that aside, I think um I think there's a lot of smoke from the Eddie Hearn side of things and you can't believe what they've been saying because Eddie's trying to convince people that the deal that he's working on with the Saudis is actually a deal that is going to work. And he's, I think he's a little too close to them and buying into the sales pitch of them that he's not looking at it through like a real critical or from a real critical perspective, which is where Bob Arum's quotes, I think are far more telling in this situation. And Bob Arum has expressed a lot of skepticism. And I think part of the reason why, and again, we are taking this from the perspective that if this does happen, here's why you could, you could look at this or here's like the good news that you should be looking at is that Bob Arum has been very vocal that, you know, they want to make the fight and they'd love to make the fight, but it just, Things aren't adding up. And if anybody could recognize a scam from the Middle East, it's Bob Arum has been pulling that shit for 20 years. Okay. But I think it was really telling when Bob said this is dead in the water. When when there was like one of the many um, expiration dates put on the fight. And Bob Arum said like this is dead in the water. And I think that was him sending a message to Eddie saying like you got to figure this out. Like. You wanted to be the guy who's making the deal. You want to be the guy who says, we leave this to you. You're going to go talk to the Saudis and get them to give us a site fee and all this stuff. Okay, we'll go do it or we're going to have to move on. But like at the same time, I think Bob Arum's always known that the arbitration thing is very real and that they're not free to go make that fight. And the fact that when they finally got those contracts, which we think that they got those contracts, the fact that Bob Arum went silent, that he kind of changed his tune on the fight. I think that would lead me to believe that maybe there's something real there where Bob Arum says, okay, well, we've, we got to work out details. Obviously nothing's perfect. And I don't imagine Bob Arum's the type of guy to like when presented with the contract, he signs and doesn't have to change anything. I think there's a lot of things that still got to get changed with that fight. But I think Bob Arum being, having a more optimistic tone about it, coupled with the fact that the arbitration, if we take that at face value, that it is coming to its conclusion, well then, I think you can be optimistic that that's an indication that things are moving in the right direction. Now, the other side of this is that there's a lot of suspicious things going on, and you've alluded to one of them, and that is that how is it that the arbitration ending is somehow lining up time-wise with them uh, like signing the or agreeing to, to sign the contracts or whatever that is, I mean that part is obviously well, very and, strange. And it's been ha- this this was a process that started in December. Mm-hmm. So like when when Hearn said, "Oh, like we'll get it, we'll get straight away on this, and we'll try and figure it like get it done as soon as possible, maybe a few weeks." So this is a process that's now or in the what fifth or sixth month of that now magically it just had the same week that the arbitration might get settled is the week that all of a sudden things might get the green light. It just seems suspicious to me. But also, I mean, further, I think, I want to be clear that, like, I think the fight definitely could happen and maybe even probably will happen. Um, So this is not, this is not me saying, like, oh, I'm going to be right that it's not going to happen. I'm not. 
That's our man's corner. He can he can <laughs> yeah. own that corner. Yeah. He, um, he, he, <laughs> I'm on the skeptical corner though, and I think it just in the same way that when the Crawford Pacquiao stuff was all happening and anything like related to this Middle East stuff, you had a good rant on that one. Yeah, and I mean, and I like my, I mean, yeah, I'm not unique in this, but my bullshit radar was correct in that. And if we really look at what this is, this was Tyson Fury sending out a video on Instagram mm-hmm. or whatever social media platform he did. He literally did that last summer, saying the fight was happening, blah, 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 Kennehan, blah, blah, blah. And, like, it only means as much as, like, does that mean anything? I don't know. Can He could just decide to send this video out. Maybe because he, got he got off Because he got off of a phone call with somebody or whatever, that doesn't mean that it is actually, like, it. It maybe it, it doesn't mean it's not. I mean, I'm not saying it's not, but we have no real actual material change from this from the situation that existed two days ago. Um, in that maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. And so I'm just skeptical as to like everyone crowning this as the new oh announcement that it happened that's going to happen. Well, didn't we have that like two months ago when they? Oh, everything's signed, and there's going to be this site deal. It seems like, to me, like the Fury video was really just another announcement of a future announcement of a future announcement. So I was like, okay, is it a good... If you're looking for positive signs, is it one? Can you take it as one? Sure. But if you're seeing a lot of this as being smelling like bullshit, it also checks out that it, it certainly could be another line in the long line or another item in the long line of bullshit that's come out of this and i mean particularly the timing of it to me the media pitch that's mostly been hearn and to a certain extent fury as well and it started with aram back in last october was to create an air of inevitability about this happening to like will it into existence yeah that the narrative yeah and that has been like extremely strong and whether that was intentional just to set the narrative or whether it was to try to discourage Wilder from sticking to his guns to whatever extent. I mean, none of us are part of the arbitration or anything, so it's hard to really say, but it seemed like they're trying to create this air of inevitability. And so it seems highly suspicious to me that the day before we're supposedly going to get this resolution that they've been waiting for. I mean, that, Aram and Mark Kriegel and these reports and even Coppinger and Pugmire have reported that the ruling from the arbitration is going to give them the green light to make this fight. So right on the right on the eve of them getting the green light, Fury is claiming the victory or like the essentially acting like they've already won. And so I'm very I do have a little um a strong bullshit detector going off saying like is this just the final attempt to, to push it over the line with brute force of like propaganda? <laughs> I'm getting uh, election night vibes here where you just declare it now. Mm-hmm. And if you're right, cool. You know, you were and right. If, and if you're wrong, you just stick to your story and it makes you, you never have to admit defeat or anything. Yeah. And I certainly do think if, if this fight falls apart, for example, and if this fight doesn't happen, what does this video that Tyson Fury made serve to do? It serves to show that he he didn't reject the Saudi offer. He was ready to make the fight. And so don't come to him saying like, oh, Fury ducked it. Fury ducked. No, he said he's ready now. So if for whatever reason, whether it's arbitration or something else, I don't 
if for whatever reason this fight falls apart now, for the past couple weeks, there's been a little bit of, oh, is Fury stalling his feet? Does he not want this? Mm -hmm. Blah, blah. This video is the kind of, if you're looking at it for this, with this outcome in mind, it is a perfect way for him to set up his narrative around the fight, which is, I was ready to do it. And X, Y, or Z other thing got in the way. But well, it, it, I didn't. I didn't walk away from this fight. Is basically kind of how it's setting up his narrative. Just the same way that Eddie has been relentless with boxing media, saying that he's going to get it done. He's going. He's sick of other people being negative because he well, wants he, it. And he's also the only it. one doing it. Yeah, he's doing it on his but, own, and nobody's helping. So both sides now are set up. That Correct. like I'm saying, I'm not saying it's going to fall apart. Don't I mean and. For all we know, when people listen to this, they'll already know the fight's happening. So then, or it's not, or yeah. But so consider this obsolete information. But from from where I sit, I do have a strong suspicion that everyone is setting up their alibi for why this shit isn't their fault that it fell apart. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's smart, no doubt about it. I, but I think everybody has their exit plan here. Where for the Fury side, it says like, look, we accepted everything. You know, we didn't like what the offer was. We we went to work. We accepted it. And unfortunately, it fell apart because of arbitration. We got the ruling against us, which I'd be shocked if arbitration ruled against them in a way that prevented the fight. And then from Hearn's side, he's basically, and this is what he's a master at. He's done this over the course of, what, the past decade now, where he's been a prominent figure in boxing where he's he's always positioning himself so that he can babyface things and he's definitely done it here where like you know he's he's the one that is has been the face of this the uh, the face of trying to secure this deal uh well he's been the face of it and he's positioned himself that if it fails it's not his fault correct how is that not the best position to be in the most privileged position to have is <laughs> i'm going to say i'm doing these things and i can deliver blah blah, blah but then like you said, baby facing it to the point that if it doesn't happen, it's also not my fault. Right. Right. And I, and I think, but, but I, I'm very content to see just how this plays out. There's been so much speculation for so many months, so many people acting like they knew or people thinking that they were, that they knew or people, I mean like a lot of, I think um, what our chat and our kind of little portion of the boxing social media has seen has seemingly seen through I think what are a lot of cynical tactics and we're kind of to the point where like we should be getting answers soon so I mean like I said maybe by the time the listeners listen to this podcast so I'm very content to just see hey apparently we're gonna get some answers I'm ready for them right yeah but like if we bring the same level of skepticism that we've had we're still a couple weeks away from resolution because every time they give us a date it ain't that date I agree yeah I mean, I think to a certain extent, I think I'm not like they've set it up to expect it Monday or like we're going to get an answer on Monday. Like, I still think it's very, it's very, very possible that 10 days from now we still might be waiting, but that might be 10 days from now might be the day that we get answers we're looking for. So I'm totally content to just punt on it and whatever happens, happens. I mean, if we get, I'm just glad to see, I'll, I'll just be glad to see some resolution and see the top of the division going again. Um, because this is Tyson Fury's MO, which is hold up, win, have generational wins and then hold up the division for another two years. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see. Well, and, and you'd have to think like, you know, Usyk's career is being held up. Joe Joyce's career is being held up. 
whoever is in the running for Deontay Wilder, if if he's not going to fight Tyson Fury again, you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's a logjam at heavyweight. And we've seen this over the course of boxing where there's a logjam in divisions. I guess you could say there's something of one at 168 right now with like, for sure, you know, what's Canelo going to do? And even though it's very clear, I think what he wants and everybody else is like, yeah, you're, you're really like positioning yourself for 12 months from now. You're, you ain't looking at your immediate future. Um, you know, you can see that a lot of different ways, but I, I mean, I'm so ready for the story to be done. Uh, there's a lot at stake here. I will, you know, I think we know that there's a lot at stake. Anthony Joshua's got one fight left with Eddie Hearn. If that fight doesn't get delivered, you have to think like, well, what does Anthony Joshua's future look like? Tyson Fury or top rank is on the, on the hook for a lot of money with Tyson Fury. They have mortgaged their future on Tyson Fury. And if they can't deliver for Tyson Fury, uh, one of two very big fights, and they, they most likely need two at this point, they are, you know, it, that could change the course of their, their 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 whole company for a couple of years. And so th- this is a big situation in boxing. And I actually think it's a bigger situation than like just a big fight. You know, I think th- these are companies' futures. This is the direction of where we're going. And if this fight doesn't happen, I mean, it really throws a wrench into those two companies' plans because they think they, the, the, they're relying on the other person to really take them into the next 12 months of their of their existence. And that's to say that, like, you know, Top Rank's going to go out of business or, or match them. That's really not the case. But, like, the ripple effects won't be felt right now. Yeah, and I also think I, I totally agree with that as far as uh, those two companies as well as the ripple effects of... What we're really seeing is like the litigation of a deal gone bad between PBC and Top Rank. That's also an element that is totally like overlooked and that we oh, may come on look, though. We may look back from the ripple effects of because that was supposed to you know thaw the ice and make it easier. Yeah, this, why can't we just have Spence Crawford under the same yeah, deal? Blah, blah, yeah, blah. yeah, forty sixty. And so I mean, to this point, obviously, I think there's a lot of unhappiness on both sides of it and people i don't think anybody's really happy necessarily with how this has played out and i mean that's part for the course for business and also part for the course for anything that happened that got affected by the pandemic um to the extent that maybe that's did or didn't but the, re- the looking back on how this whole situation plays out will have ripple effects for top rank and and matchroom going forward but it'll also have ripple effects on what's the state of the industry uh, making deals and which network partners are interested in working with each other, et cetera, et cetera. There's also still a conclusion to be drawn there that, I mean, is what is we're waiting for to play out. So I'm very much talked out on the subject, but still very interested when we actually do get the resolution. Oh, I mean, how, how it all kind of, like you said, ripples through the boxing world. We, we, we are in the, in the business of creating content no matter which way this this crumbles well actually bad news is always better than good news so the fight falling apart is definitely better for like every podcast out there because everyone loves uh, a story on doom nobody wants to hear us be happy about anything really and uh but if this you know you got to look at even pbc at some at to some extent is is like really on the hook here i mean they're not, obviously they could easily be cut out of a deal if, if Fury and Joshua are fighting but like well what does that do for Deontay Wilder 
You know, they, would that look better for Fox if they're in their network, they're in their contract year with Fox, and and it looks a lot different if they deliver a Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fight this year on Fox pay per view than if they don't deliver that. For sure, yeah. I mean, even, even if Wilder loses and all that stuff, which I would expect him to, uh, you still have to to look at like the the property, to, like ability to deliver pay per views and promote them. Uh, that is something that is at stake here as well. But, you know, I I just still always come back to, I hate the fact that this is happening in Saudi Arabia and it's not even like a human rights thing, even though like that is important. I just think that like, how do you, how do you mess this up? How do you mess this up? You have two British champions. You're going to crown an undisputed British champion. Why are you taking this to Saudi Arabia? Fuck the site fee. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole, I, we're, we're far enough into this podcast. We don't, but yeah, there's there's all types of conversations to be had that I, I f- would feel more interested and more comfortable having once we actually get some re- some real progress. And on. that's why we haven't talked about this over the what past four months or so. We haven't talked mm-hmm. about this, and that's exactly the reason why. But maybe there will be an emergency podcast at some point this week where we get some resolution. Maybe I don't know. We shall see. Uh, Sebastian Fundura's next fight is signed. He will be facing Sergio Garcia. And this was an odd one because it came from Samson's PR people. Samson loves doing this. Samson gets something figured out and he like lets it out. And it's like so anti-PBC because PBC doesn't say anything. Right. And then Samson's just like, oh yeah, dude, we, we agreed to a fight. We're good. Yeah, it's going to be on Fox. And Fox. Some Someday, TBD on every all the rest of the NFL, Yeah, but and Fox is like, we? 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 <laughs> we didn't agree on nothing. We love Fundora, but don't don't we don't release anything until we've made the commercial for the fight. Like that's how far that's how late they like to wait. But Sergio Garcia is number two, rated by the WBC. Fundora is number five. Erickson Lubin is number one. He'll be fighting Jason Rosario uh, in a battle for two Jamel Charlo victims to fight to get the opportunity to uh, get knocked out again. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I, Sergio Garcia is an okay fighter. He's he's a decent little European level fighter. I expect Fundora to steamroll him. Um, what was the other thing of news that we were going to talk about here? Gary Antoine uh, Russell will be back on the Donaire card, which is two in two weeks. Yep. Um, I'm assuming he's known for a little longer than two weeks, but uh, he'll fight Giovanni Santiago, who is the guy that Adrian Broner beat the shit out of back in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh what january wait what are you laughing at did i have that wrong oh no i just think that's I mean, that's one way to describe that fight <laughs> yeah I, that's that's how i'm describing it i'm pretty sure that that's how ab would describe it so uh, i'll side with ab's interpretation of things yeah i mean ab did what we thought what he was there to do he was there to not get hit and land a few pot shots and that's what i saw yeah and, and cut an interview afterwards man that's but, um, yeah, I mean, I know people um, are interested in Gary Antoine Russell. Um, people kind of, um, some people on seat online in different forums um, are kind of disappointed with what PBC's done with him. And it's one of those things where it's kind of hard to determine who's really, what factors are really leading to people getting fights or not getting fights. I mean, I know that there's been plenty of reports of PBC trying to get uh, Antoine step up opponents and it not come happening. And then obviously there is a uh, death in the family with Gary Russell. Um, 
and, and, and family over the last year. So there's been a lot of things as to why isn't this thing happening or this not happening. This is really simple though. Like you're gonna blame PBC when you can easily just look at the name. His name is Gary Russell. He's not fighting very often. You think maybe it runs in the family? Like, come on, people. Like, there's a lot of things you you can say about PBC and the way they bring up prospects. And, you know, we all, I mean, at this point, we're still not sure if Brandon Figueroa was good. But, like, the thing about this is, like, the obvious thing here is, like, it's Gary Russell. I know it's yeah. not Gary, Mr. Gary Russell. This is Gary Antoine Russell. But, like, uh, you think that maybe Gary's, like, worn off on his brother and he's like, yeah, man, you don't have to fight that often. And like for for all for ever, from everything we know, Gary Antoine is legitimately really good. Yeah, I mean, people like obviously as Boots' profile in the sport has grown so much. I mean, obviously it's very notable. Antoine beat him a few times in the amateurs, and Antoine was the reason that he that Boots didn't make the Olympic team. So I mean, obviously that's as Ennis's stock grows, just kind of having that connection, people, and obviously having the Gary Russell name. People want to see him and, and want to see if, what he's all about. And yeah, he's definitely been one of the prospects that checks all the boxes as far as what you expect out of a, a top young fighter. And he really could have the chance of being an elite prospect, but we have to see him more. So, I mean, it's very good to have him back on the schedule, uh, have him against an opponent that we should learn something about him. I mean, if he goes in there and steamrolls him, Yes, people will say Santiago was competitive with AB, who was washed, but... He's not washed. Okay, well, you're the... <laughs> I'm not here to litigate that, but uh, it will give us an idea, that performance, um, and at least it'll put him back kind of in the spotlight and on um, PBC fans' radar to hopefully um, well, have, hold on. A, have a couple of PBC fans? Yeah. Fans who watch PBC events, I don't... I think that's a controversial thing. No, I think it is. What are you trying to get at? I see this on Twitter a lot. I was not actually, I was just, I just met people who watch BBC shows. I did not, I was not uh, intending to single out uh, the Hamanites or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever like pejorative uh, somebody <laughs> online has about. Um, All right, Steve Kim, relax, okay? Yeah. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Kim, what a joke. Uh, we saw Steve Kim yesterday. Yeah, he looks like a jabroni. But... <laughs> Uh, Gary Antoine also, um, you know, for anybody that's like, well, where the hell has this guy been? We've known from like the, um, <clears throat> Shahan. Oh, Ergashev. Ergashev. Yeah. He, there's a, from the lawsuit. There's a lawsuit. Um, he's a Shahan Ergashev. Uh, I really struggled him. to say that. <laughs> if you don't recognize the name, cause it's kind of an odd one. He's the guy who's, uh. A Salida fighter who's been on Showbox a few times. Yeah. Apparently, he's trying to leave Salida to go to MTK, something like that. So there's a lawsuit that, through that paperwork, we know that he was offered a fight with Gary Antoine Russell on a Showtime card last year, and, and he ghosted him, and he turned it down. So I mean, that goes along with everything that we've kind of been hearing. That's a that would have been a high level opponent for for Antoine. Yeah, that's that's two undefeated guys, two young undefeated guys. Um, They're trying to match him tough, is the point here. Yeah, so I mean, that's something that we've we've kind of heard through the grapevine, and then obviously to see in that lawsuit that came to light that that was indeed a verified fact. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at some point <clears throat> Gary Antoine will take off it's just a matter of when and hopefully i mean this is this fight on may 29th with santiago is the start of it so all right let's um 
<clears throat> move on to the previews, and we have a pretty big fight to preview this weekend. Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez are going to unify the 140-pound division with all four titles being on the line. You know, I got into, I, no, I'm not gonna, I got into an argument about something related to this fight that I'm just not gonna, because I can't remember the details. But it was a good argument. That's great content right there. Yeah, I just want to. Sometimes I gotta let people know what I'm thinking. Anyway, um, Josh Taylor coming off of a win over. I can't remember his first name. Victor Pulso? Josh Taylor recently fought oh, Kong I'm Song. Thinking, oh, yeah. Okay, I was thinking of Ramirez. Yeah. And Jose Ramirez. Apinon Kong Song. Oh, yeah. There. Song, yeah. Uh, yeah. Knocked him out in the first round. Jose Ramirez is coming off of a majority decision win over Victor Pulso. <laughs> um, so, just real quickly, just so I know, like, you know, if I need to play devil's advocate here, who are you taking? Um... I don't have that much confidence in this pick necessarily, but I mean, I'm going with Josh Taylor. Um, That's obviously proud the chalk. He's the favorite. Um, But I have to admit that I'm a little bit questioning of what to expect out of Jose Ramirez. He's had some impressive performances when I've doubted him and he's had some lackluster performances. When did you doubt him? Uh, Well, I guess, I don't know, I expect him to knock out Hooker. I guess I, that was exactly what I expected. Um, I thought he lost to Jose Zepeda. Um, you thought he lost to Orozco, too? No. You thought he lost to Victor Postal? Uh, you definitely could have scored that fight for Postal, but I don't think that that fight necessarily is that indicative of how a Taylor fight can go. Because I, I think Taylor has the ability maybe to try and box him cute and... Stay on the outside, but I don't think that that's what we're going to see. Uh, I think we're going to see Taylor fight a fight that's much more... That Jose is much more comfortable fighting. Um, and so it'll probably be um, competitive. And I'd see Taylor edging it out. Um, but honestly, I don't have too good of a read on it. I don't. These aren't two guys that I feel super confident that I have their um, strengths and weaknesses and kind of... I don't feel super confident in my read on either fighter, to be honest. Yeah, I am actually confident in this fight. I, I got Josh Taylor winning this. Okay. And I, you know, maybe I'm wrong here. I mean, that's definitely the majority opinion for sure. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really out on skinny branches something. right now. Yeah, no, I don't mean to. Taking the betting favorite. But um, I, I've just not been impressed with Jose Ramirez. Like, coming out of, okay, so Jose Ramirez was part of a generation of prospects that includes Oscar Valdez and uh, he who must not be named um, in boxing now. That top rank had signed up to the Olympics. Uh, they signed all these guys together. They came up together. And like in the backdrop of Oscar Valdez and the other guys, Jose Ramirez always looked probably the least impressive. He always looked basic. Um, one thing that, you, that he brings to the ring is he is explosive you know he he does have a quick first step he's got some power but like i just never was that impressed with what the jose ramirez experience was josh taylor on the other hand i think could do a lot of things in the ring um i don't think he's very good at anything which is maybe an issue but he's good at a lot of things i don't think that there's anything that jose ramirez is gonna bring in the ring that josh taylor is not gonna be able to be okay with and so I, I like Josh Taylor in this fight. I think 
He's also, the, uh, of the two, if anybody could fight long, it's going to be Josh Taylor, even mm-hmm. though they're probably roughly the same size. And I think that might play a role here because Victor Pulso was really effective just staying long on, on Jose Ramirez. And even with that little noodle jab that he was throwing out, it still got him like six rounds on one card. Zepeda, the same way. Zepeda actually fought in a more strategic fight than I think maybe if, if he had a second bite at the apple on that, I think Zepeda would probably take try to take the fight to him more um, because he didn't end up getting the nod on the scorecards. But I did think that it's essentially um, Zepeda had a lot of success doing the same thing, uh, scoring scoring points while not necessarily overly engaging Ramirez in in the pocket. Let me ask you this. What do you think is going to be the X factor in this fight? Um, Josh Taylor's better? Uh, no, wrong answer. Okay, what's your what's your X factor? I told you I don't I don't have that much to say about this fight. Oh, you uh you know, maybe an experience you had last night that might have uh tipped things for you on this fight? Maybe you saw somebody walking around without a mask? Oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. So we did see Robert Garcia last night at the fights. Um, no mask in sight. Uh, a week out from this fighter's biggest fight of his career. So, I mean, I, I don't doubt that uh, Robert Garcia knows what he's doing, but I probably uh, I wouldn't have been maybe quite as out and about as, as we saw him uh, if, if I had to pass uh, COVID tests in the next week to make sure that uh, I was with my fighter for the biggest fight of his career. Yeah, that was the one thing. Is like Rob Garcia. I, I didn't get what you were getting at at first, but yes, I, that was a funny thing to see. Yeah, uh, and and pretty sure Robert Garcia wasn't in his corner for his last fight with Victor Postal. Yeah, no, he because he had tested positive before, so then at the last second they like held him out. Or can something. you test yeah. positive twice? That's the question. Yes, you can. You can. We, we saw it happen before, and also, I mean, like the thing is, it's like you can. There, are, even if you're vaccinated or whatever, you can still like test positive. It's not the fact that you're not going to get sick from it because you're vaccinated, or like probably not going to have bad side effects or anything, is fine. But all it's going to take is that one test that you have to use to get into the bubble or whatever. Right. If that's positive, then oh, no trainer. You don't you don't get to be in the corner for this fight. So now you, you know, I would you got... probably I would be a little more careful probably, but also I mean who am I to tell? Other now you got Ryan Garcia's dad giving you instructions. Yeah. Uh yeah, I I think I, I look at this. I'm like, who's? I, I think if Taylor can establish his jab in this fight, it's over. I don't think Ramirez is the guy that's gonna want to either a take away a jab or b try to out jab him. I don't think so. I think what we see from Ramirez in, in fights is like he likes to fight in skirmishes. It is um, I think it's kind of like what Neary was doing last night, where Neary just kept trying to get into these skirmishes with Brandon, and Brandon was just like, yeah, I'll land punches. You could hit me too. Like, you you know that there's no brain in here for you to rattle. But, like, uh, I think Jose Ramirez is going to try to do that. And, like, I, I feel like if you could cut down on the, the amount of times where Jose Ramirez is able to jump in and, like, you know, land a flurry on you, if you cut that down and reduce him to one, two punches at a time... This is an easy fight for Josh Taylor. Yeah, I mean, the, wolf, the one thing I will say about Josh Taylor is um, I was not very impressed by his performance in the Postal fight. I don't know. It seems like Postal has fought most of these people. and The, the measuring stick. The win by Crawford dominating him is by far the most clearly he's been beaten. Um, the second most clearly he's been beaten might be a win that he had in uh, 
the Ukraine where he got it was a total robbery. Um, oh, that that, that I, I think that guy beat the shit out of him more than Crawford did. <laughs> but uh, but the one the one the one takeaway I had um, from Pro Gray versus Taylor was Taylor was a lot physic like he was able to match Pro Gray physicality wise, but they were it both seemed small to me basically, um, and so it will be curious to see if Taylor still has the ability to be kind of like the physical bully or if he takes that mentality against Ramirez because that's something that uh, Taylor is someone who I think has not come up against someone who is physically stronger than him in a fight and I think that it will be interesting to see how he reacts if that happens because I don't think he's been forced to to really confront that yet in his career at least that the vice I've seen him well I would say I think it's a very astute observation to say that Postal's never fought somebody as strong as him, except maybe Baranchik. That's a, a little short, compact guy with, with a oh, lot of muscle mean, on him. You mean Taylor? Yeah. Yeah. You said um, Postal, but I got what you mean. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, for anybody who's like, well, what about Progre? He's a big puncher. Progre is very small. But, like, Bar- but Bar- I think, see, the thing, Baranchik is a, a small guy, too. I don't know. I, I think a lot of these guys at 140 are not i mean they're they're 140 pounders they are not or or they are guys who have come up to 140 pounds. i don't think that there's like a crawford in the division right now i don't think that there's a guy who's who has natural weight class is going to end up being heavier so, really you don't think that taylor or ramirez could easily fight at 147 i think they could fight there i think they would lose to okay everybody who matters so. they're both 510 yeah just I, I would be surprised to see Josh Taylor in the ring with any of the top five guys at welterweight and not be like, yeah, he's little. He looks little. That's, that's the impression I get. Maybe that's a wrong impression. He's but lanky. He, he, I think that he will get very badly bullied by the big guys that fight at 147, the true, real welterweights. Like Jamal and, James? No, I'm not talking about Jamal James. Although, <laughs> I don't know. Jamal James versus Josh Taylor, I definitely... I don't know. Interesting fight. I wouldn't mind seeing it. Because <laughs> I don't give Josh Taylor much chance to beat a guy like Crawford or Spence um, or like Ennis. Guys that are uh, real, on. actual welterweights. Not like guys who have ended up at welterweight like Danny Garcia, you know? Uh, I, I feel like Danny Garcia is the wrong one. Like that's a guy that they let him grow into into welterweight. Um, okay, but you brought up Terrence Crawford. Well, you keep bringing up Terrence Crawford for some reason. Um, do you think the winner of this fight is likely to be the opponent for Terrence Crawford in September, which is how I booked it uh, way back when? Well, yeah. I mean, just to uh, touch back on Crawford. So there was allegedly supposed to be this fight with Pacquiao. They were gonna announce. That he was fighting in June. Bob Graham did some interviews about this. There was some reports about it. Essentially, once the Crawford-Pacquiao fight, it became obvious that that was not happening to the extent that it wasn't already obvious. Um, then apparently um, Bob said that they're looking at September for him. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're having this conversation as to who his next fight would be in September. Um, personally, I think that Virgil Ortiz is who it's going to be. Um I think that making a deal with 
Golden Boy because Golden Boy is in the position where they're making deals with top rank and they have been pretty much for the last year to send guys over. I think that on the last fight, if it is in fact going to be the last fight for Crawford with top rank, top rank would not mind taking options on Virgil to come over and make that fight, whether he wins or loses. But I mean, I think to a certain extent, they might hope that he beats Crawford on the way out. Um, and I don't think that there's really, I mean, there's any money behind Crawford versus either one of these guys, even if they are, oh, the last two undefeated, uh, the last two undefeated, undisputed, 145-pound champions fighting each other. Neither, I mean, unless you're going to put this fight in like Fresno <laughs> for Ramirez or something, or if you're going to ship the fight um, and try to do it as a UK pay-per-view because you've given up on Crawford making money in the U.S., um, or whatever the case may be, I don't, I don't see the it being a, a truly big fight money-wise, and I think that there's a lot of reasons why Virgil, Virgil versus Crawford makes more sense um, if you're top rank. Yeah, I, I think so too. And they did say that it's uh, likely that, or well, they said that his opponent in, in September wouldn't be a top rank fighter. Oh, I didn't, I didn't recall. But maybe they that. said that it wouldn't be a top rank welterweight because. They don't have anybody at this point for Terence Crawford to fight in September, like yeah. under contract. That would be a fight that they wouldn't have already done in in June or whatever. Yeah, and I think it's more. Li- I think if we're looking at a fight for the winner of this fight, I think it's more likely that they set up uh, that Tia Fimo Texas lails with tails between his legs and comes back asking <laughs> asking for that fight at one forty coming up because I think they can make that just as big of a fight and as far as make it just as lucrative of a, of a opportunity for the winner of uh, Ramirez Taylor. And then I think that they would obviously have a better chance of winning that. I think so there's a lot of reasons. I think that, that is the more likely scenario um, as far as for the winner. Um, and that, but that's also assuming that the winner stays on the top rank plan because if Josh Taylor wins, Josh Taylor could go off and do his... Like, there's not really that much reason for Josh Taylor to be fighting in America with an American promoter. Right. He he can go with MTK and they can make their own fights in in the UK or whatever. I don't... I think if, if Taylor wins, it's more of an open question as to what the next step would be. Whereas yeah. If Ramirez wins, I think Ramirez getting Tiafimo would make a lot more sense. I think it's it's more likely that you want him to fight Crawford. Um, I think they it wouldn't wouldn't it you be want better who to fight Crawford Ramirez oh. because okay. what wouldn't you like to uh, send Crawford out looking at the lights? Not not to say that I think Crawford would lose to Jose Ramirez. I think that would be a massacre. But wouldn't they try to take a shot at like well you know sending Crawford out on a loss and then cutting him loose? And then now they have Jose Ramirez as their next guy who is probably more marketable than Terrence Crawford. I think you have to believe that Ramirez has a chance to beat Crawford to do that. Um, if he's impressive against Josh Taylor, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be uh, like a... I think, a, I think the way that... Uh, not to interrupt you, but I think the way that they've handled Ramirez's career up to this point shows that they don't think that he could be, that he could be Crawford. Like the way that they finessed the situation when Progray and Ramirez were 
were set to fight according to the yeah, WBC the is like, yeah. yeah, it was like they, not to say that they like ducked program, but like they very clearly steered him in a path that wouldn't make that fight next or make that fight more difficult to happen. And I mean, I, it was smart. They The way that they played it has been the best possible scenario for anyone could have seen for how Ramirez's career to play out. But I, I think that all the evidence points to them internally not believing that he has a chance to beat Crawford. So um, on social media, it's been very clear that Jose Ramirez's people are not happy with the way that this fight has been promoted thus far. They're fighting in a tiny venue. Uh, ESPN seemingly has no knowledge of this fight happening. <laughs> and as you know, you and I are both people that consume a lot of sports content. I don't know about you, but I ain't run across anything for this fight. No, and I and I myself, as a hardcore boxing fan who also forgets a lot of things because there's a lot of things to remember, uh, continues to forget. I, I mean, I've continued to forget over the course of the past few weeks that this fight was happening. This is going under the radar. I think it's fair to say it's and and the the people it, ESPN and and I I, don't, or I think top ranks people agree with like Jose Ramirez's people in saying that they're kind of like dropping the bag here. But you could argue, and and I guess this is what we should talk about is like yes, this is an undisputed fight. There are four titles on the line on the line, and this is historical in the in the sense of like somebody doing something that doesn't happen very often in boxing but this flying, flying under the radar like is is it is there a reason like what why do you think this is not gaining the traction that certainly it, it has with hardcores because you know i think hardcores are like definitely invested in what this fight is but in terms of casual engagement i don't see it do you yeah. see did you hear anybody talking about it last night no no, so I think I think I, mean, I think as far as like why is it flying under the radar? I mean, I think it's just the fact that you have two guys who have not been promoted to a certain level in America, right? I mean, to a certain extent, I guess you could say Taylor broke through a little bit in the UK um, towards the end of the World Boxing Super Series, at least like doing the shows in Glasgow and stuff, to where maybe this would be a bigger fight if it was being held in the UK. But Ramirez is like never been treated like a fighter who is really the cream of the crop by top rank. They've never put that attention on him. Mm -hmm. He kind of made his own way drawing crowds in Fresno and at least putting fans in the stands, even if it wasn't for big gate receipts. He kind of made his own way in the, in the boxing world. And then, I mean, obviously they hopped on the opportunity to take a payday from DAZN and beat Hooker. But that was another event that was it, was... it was bigger in the hardcore community or whatever that, like, didn't have any blip in the real outside larger sports world that had a small gate. And I don't think very many people watched it. Yeah. Um. So I guess the reason I think it's going under the radar is that, like, there's no reason to have expected it not to. Like, this is exactly what, like, if you, yes, the titles are important to a certain extent, but if you just look at the fighters, you're, we're talking about two fighters who are relatively nondescript fighters in the market under which this fight is happening. So is it a surprise? No. Um, is it a little bit disappointing? Maybe. 
Um, Top Rank has made some interesting choices with their business um, as far as like clearly cutting costs in certain areas, the, how they've handled the pandemic or made their way through the pandemic. They've had a specific strategy very clearly that would allow them to put on a lot of fight cards and like kind of receive praise for having this top rank bubble, blah, 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 at MGM. And I mean, obviously they put on Loma, uh, Lomachenko versus Lopez in an empty arena or whatever, you know, in a bubble setting. So they deserve credit for that, but it seems like they basically budgeted a certain amount of money for fights and then blew through the budget. And now they're not willing to spend any money without like guaranteed returns. And so that, this is kind of what that gets you. They took whatever money they are getting for this site fee. Um, so I know people had a tremendously difficult time when tickets supposedly went on sale for this to get tickets because there's not very many. And they did some weird thing with the site crashing as they posted tickets and whatever. So there was a lot of even the hardcores that wanted to be there. Um, some question as to what the hell they were doing with this fight. Um, and then they're not going to go out of their way now to promote this into something that's not, which is an event that is going to draw casual interest. It's just not. So is it a little bit disappointing? Sure. But it's just the limitations of, of marketing yourself purely behind the idea of boxing, sporting purity, blah, blah, blah is so important. And the best against the best fighting is the most important. It's like, this is the best against the best fighting. Does anyone outside of boxing care? No. So it, clearly anyone who says who thinks that that is the only thing that's holding boxing back from being more popular, etc. all this crap you hear people say is like totally disingenuous because it's out of touch. Yeah. Because neither one of these guys has an audience outside of the fact that they're just a unified champion. And so this is really showing you how much that's worth, which is not much as far as like attention, mainstream attention goes. I mean, it's I, I talk about this a lot that the best versus the best is as a concept is great, but like at the same time, it doesn't pay the bills, and it it has to be supplemented with people that the audience cares about fighting each other, and mm. not to say that. Well, actually, I'm gonna say flat out that nobody cares about Jose Ramirez and Josh Taylor. Now. Hardcore boxing fans, of course, you care about them, and then I, I and then I think, on some level, there there may be a subset of fans that care more about the fact that this is a unification than the two guys who are going to be contesting it. But like the issue is, Josh Taylor has never headlined a card in the U.S. That is a major indictment, and anybody who who like anybody who assumes that a guy who's headlining their first car should it, their their first car that they're headlining should be a big deal in the US you're just delusional like maybe there's some exceptions Anthony Joshua maybe that would have been that's an exception Carl Froch maybe that no actually no cuz Carl Froch did come to the US and it wasn't a big deal um so no that's not a good example i i can't i don't think there's another example of a fighter who their in recent memory, their first fight in the U.S. it mattered as an international guy. I don't think that 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 exists. We don't see it. There's a and like boxing is at such a niche level in the in the sport right now that you're just not going to break through. 
Lomachenko, you know, was a huge star in the in the boxing sense. Like, obviously, he's not a guy that was like, you know, Errol Spence level. He's not Canelo level. But, like, boxing fans all knew who Lomachenko was. I don't think the the average boxing fan knows who Josh Taylor is, despite him being one of the better fighters in the world, despite him being on the verge of, of making history by unifying his division. And Jose Ramirez, I think, you know, he's headlined a few cars. Most of the cars that he's headlined have been ESPN+. Plus. You know, that takes away a lot of potential viewers. For a long time, Jose Ramirez did hold the lowest-rated ESPN uh, top-ranked card. Now, did he do better going forward? Yeah, he did better. Uh, but he never he didn't have that breakthrough number. You know, you look at Burchelt versus Valdez, which is a, a card that should have been, like, it had the makings of being a ratings, like, just a monster. Two Mexican fighters, guaranteed fireworks. The fireworks delivered. Oscar Valdez had been one of ESPN and Top Rank's consistent ratings draws. It didn't work out that way. So there's not a lot going for this fight. And if you're trying to make the point that because this is unification, that's why this is important. That's why the fight should matter. That's why people should care. Uh, I mean, I want to agree with you. But like the reality tells me like, uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. And then, you know, then we get to that conversation, which is what you said. Like, well, why did they hotshot this? Yeah, I guess the other person I was thinking of is, uh, I don't remember if Frampton, if his first fight headlining was the first fight with Santa Cruz. No, it was against Gutierrez on ESPN. Frampton got dropped three times in the first round. Oh, uh, okay. But anyways. Was uh, it Gutierrez? It was, it was Gutierrez or Gonzalez. I think it was Gutierrez, though. Um, also from Scotland. But, uh, oh, Frampton is from Northern Ireland, brother. But, um. Yeah, shout out. That was, it's really close though. I was really close. I mean, you know, shout out to our UK listeners for, no. I was really close. Yeah, he, you nailed it. How, like how far away? Like they, they probably share a border. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're, I think that they are right next to each other. I don't know. Sorry for my lack of uh, knowledge about the specifics <laughs> of the geography of the UK, but they're close enough. Um, I said that with like certainty of like if you ask me like who won last night <laughs> um, that was the nick young take to shoot from shoot from half court and turn around and celebrate before <laughs> um but i think back to like this fight not having that larger appeal i think pete like i mean obviously there was a specific evan corn tweet um, top rank PR guy who was trying to belittle something about the Floyd Mayweather fight. Um, uh-huh. Floyd Mayweather Logan Paul. It's a real fight, right? Yeah, and it's like I get the impulse to pit that stuff against each other, and that like he's obviously doing that to try to draw more attention to this fight. It sounds like having thin but, skin to me, but yeah, and, but but I think that you should we should just resist the impulse to get. To get overly negative about why this fight isn't a huge mainstream fight, it's just not. And it's just like, okay, just accept that for what it is. And then we can all go on and still say that it's a great fight. It's really good for the division, that they're, that people with multiple titles want to fight each other. Um, it's it's good that it's um, on ESPN. Um, it's good for Top Rank's rep that, they're, that they've done that it. That they were able to make this fight, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, it should be... 
I'm, I mean, I'll look forward to it when, when it comes, it's, it's, uh, there's no need to get, I feel like people want to defend its honor by, or people might have the impulse to defend the honor of this fight by insisting that it's bigger than it is. Um, and I think that that's kind of just a, does a disservice to it because we should just, we can just focus on the fact that as a boxing fight, as a fight within the sport, it is um, something worth commending and something worth looking forward to. And it doesn't need to be any more or less than that. Well, and I, I think like if you're, you're talking about, you know, trying to defend the tweet and and calling this a real fight in the face of like the Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul thing, it's like, okay, you're picking the wrong battle. And if you want to, like, if you want the cold, hard truth, you know what this fight's missing? You know why this is going under the radar? There's no fucking narrative. Why should you care about this fight? Four titles are going to be unified? Like, I, I understand the significance of that, but if you tell a, uh, an average boxing fan that, they, they, I imagine, and I, I don't know, I, I'll have to test this out, but I imagine they'll be like, there's four divi- there's four titles in a division? That doesn't sound appealing and so there's no narrative here. Like, did Josh Taylor like say anything mean to Jose Ramirez? Well, and they didn't know, but but they also like they didn't ever fought on the same. Like, it would even just one fight each of them setting it up with them fighting on the same card or fighting on like back to back weekends in the U.S. or something. There, they there was uh, a, an ability to connect these two in a larger story that just didn't really happen, and so. That's how you end up with the fight that we have, but that's uh, that's fine. I mean, if they want to just go ahead and make the fight because both guys want to fight for all the titles, and this is the only time they really have the opportunity to do that without getting... I mean, they already have asked for exceptions and everything, so in order to make this fight for four belts, they did it, and so more power to them, um, and I hope it does a good rating. I don't really... I'm not holding my breath for that, but also... Um, I'm not really, I don't think that in the grand scheme of things, um, that that's this big condemnation on boxing or anything. It's not every fight is built for um, like a mainstream audience or to attract a mainstream audience. And it doesn't need to be. It doesn't take away from what we're going to see in the ring and what um, the winner will have accomplished. I think the other thing is like, look, there's no shortcuts to making a big fight. And getting four titles on the line is a shortcut. And as much as that may be a hard pill to swallow for a boxing fan, it's like, no, but that is literally the two, number one and two in the division fighting each other and all this stuff. At the end of the day, though, you're not getting anybody to care. And that that is an issue. You know, people care about the Mayweather-Logan Paul thing. You know, the stupid gotcha hat thing. Surprise, guys. That got people invested. That got everybody talking. And so you got to do stuff like that. And that doesn't mean you got to be a clown. It doesn't mean you got to be Jake Paul and get uh, a black eye at a, at a press conference because you did something something you shouldn't have done. I mean, there's there, there's just nothing, and they missed any opportunity. And like, look, you can blame the pandemic. They didn't have a press conference in person, so how was this going to happen? How could Jose Ramirez have slapped um, Josh Taylor at a press conference if they weren't ever in the same room together? Well, and they both had mandatory fights that they just got out of the way that they both happened in empty rooms on opposite sides of the world mm-hmm. because that's how it had to happen. Maybe that maybe in a non-pandemic world, those are on the same card or they're present at one uh, each other's fights um, and they can build it uh, further. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why we ended up where they, where we ended up. But I also think that like top rank knows, like obviously their PR guys are gonna like go on the offensive or whatever. But I mean, top rank knows what it, this fight is. That's why it's being held in a venue that holds a thousand people, and that's why they haven't blown a huge advertising budget on it. Like I think the fighters wanted this fight with the the reality of the situation as it played out over like the last year is they got them to fight. Um, they got both fighters what they wanted enough to make the fight, but they're also not fooling themselves into thinking they have some, some hidden gem here. That's going to be a huge popular um, breakthrough hit. Um, it's, it's just a good fight for, for boxing fans. Yeah. I think like all the other alternatives were just not as good as this one. Um, Ramirez wasn't going to be ready for Terrence Crawford. That was a fight that you could have went to, but I don't think that it would have been worth it at that time to like send Jose Ramirez up to 147, which is something that he said he wanted to do. But I don't think that sending him up to 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 lose to Terrence Crawford, who's to say also that with the shallow pool of guys at 147, that it would have even made Jose Ramirez into an opponent for Terrence Crawford that would have been viable. Uh, they had signed Josh Taylor, like clearly the intention was for this fight, but like also you have to consider the Tiafimo thing where like, I think they're probably looking at Tiafimo's future and saying like, we need one of these two guys. We think that these are the two best guys at 140. He's going to need a big win here because I mean, let's be real here. Top ranked star is hitched to Tiafimo at this point. And that is their guy. Well, assuming that he ever comes back. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast, uh, to get into, but yeah, no, I do, I do agree that I think, uh, I think that the, the the lack of other alternatives kind of left them with this scenario. Combine that with the pandemic, um, you just kind of they. I think they made the fight that made the most sense for them to make in the in the manner that it made the most sense for them as a company. So, the undercard uh, is interesting because it's what we talked about, which is like Jose Zapata is getting one of those titles. He may get all of them, he may get one of them, but he is certain, or at least he's going to fight for those titles, one or all, because he's on the undercard. He had the really close fight with Ramirez, which you thought Zapata might have won? Yeah, I I, mean, I I recall thinking that Zapata won after the fight, and I know that that wasn't an incredibly unpopular opinion. So, I mean, at the very least, it was a fight that maybe could have been a draw, or, or you could have had either guy winning. Um, and so, yeah, I do think... They've. This is something that Top Rank is pretty good at, is when somebody gives one of their guys a tough fight, then they kind of hold on to him and build him back for something else. And I do think that, I mean, obviously with the Brantic fight that Zapata had, Zapata is going to be the next in line within um, the WBC, I think it is. Um, and so it's just a matter of after the undisputed fight, will the titles be broken up? I think that's probably likely. Um, so at that point, they've kind of set up Zapata to be the heir to one of those stuff. And it, it, I think that's the right move. I mean, I, I kind of wish that they had brought Zapata back a little sooner because the Branchik fight was, that was the kind of heat that you need to immediately get him back out there and just show people like, yeah, this is the guy that put on that fight. It's been a while since we've seen Zapata. I mean, there's obvious reasons not to come back immediately after that fight. Oh, yeah, I mean, the fact, that, the fact that he had been dropped three or four times, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Maybe, maybe he's maybe he's been suspended this whole time. Maybe. Yeah. Well, just just a comment on the ridiculousness of Bob Bennett and the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Here we go. Here we go. Um, Why are you always slandering Bob Bennett? Like it, it, they just make sense. Makes decisions that like it don't make sense. Um, but so Zapata's uh, original opponent was supposed to be for this fight um, Pedro Kempa. Who was also Who's trash? Who is a Mexican guy with a good record? Um, who, yeah, it wouldn't be. I mean, I don't. I can't, I can't pretend to know that much about him, but he seems to be just a guy whose record was built up to lose to a actual good guy. Um, he was originally going to be the Broner opponent um, that ended up, be, ended up being Santiago, but apparently the Nevada State Athletic Commission didn't approve him. As an opponent for Zapata because he wasn't on a high enough level, caliber level. Um, so for some reason that means that we're getting Zapata versus 37-year-old Hank Lundy. Um, a story that I broke on Twitter if you um, are not already aware that I'm a preeminent boxing source. Uh, follow me at Ranger Rollins. <laughs> <laughs> but So that's just kind of strange. Uh, shout out to Hank Lundy. He's been a good soldier for a long time in the boxing game. Uh, we'll see what kind of fight we get. Hopefully, it's um, quick and it's, quick and short. Um, quick and yeah, easy. I mean, hopefully, it, hopefully Zapata puts on a good performance. Um, in addition to that, um, speaking of Bob Bennett being a weirdo, uh, Elvis Rodriguez versus Kenneth Sims Jr. is the other fight on this undercard, and they submitted that to be a ten-round fight. And Nevada would approve Sims as an opponent for Rodriguez. But only for an eight-round fight, so that's why we're getting an eight-rounder to start the broadcast. Are you sure that it's not because of Elvis Rodriguez that they approved eight rounds instead of ten? Yeah, it's because Kenny Sims. I don't think has ever uh, Kenny Sims has never been scheduled for a ten-round fight. Or, are you kidding? Or he's been scheduled for one and it didn't go that distance. And other than that, all of his fights were eight-round fights. Because he got stopped. Um. Yeah, I think it was his loss on Showbox that was scheduled for ten, but. Um, yeah, no. you're right. He's never been in a 10-round fight. This guy's like the perennial undercard Friday Night Fights guy. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's just kind of like goofy and bizarre that Nevada approves some of the stuff it does and then like decides this weird little shit. Like They're so goddamn smart that they're like, no, we can't let him do, do a 10-rounder. It needs to be an 8-rounder. <laughs> like, all right. It just seems weird and like petty. I don't know where or why Nevada, well, Nevada makes some of the decisions they do. Bob Bennett in particular, but also... Maybe he's what's got like. Point? Something, what's the point in trying to figure it out? He's got something against Top Rank, and yet Top Rank keeps going back to Nevada, like, you know, like they're going to get better luck this time. I mean, the, the Zapata Hank Lundy fight sucks. Like, there's no two ways about that. Hank Lundy is like, I mean, to, to try to even be complimentary of him is like a journeyman at best. Like, I don't want to see a guy in the ring on TV who lost to Avery Sparrow. Because I saw Avery Sparrow show up against uh, Roly, and like he made Roly look like he knew how to box, <laughs> and like that's like very, you know, that's just not good. Yeah, and I mean, Elvis Rodriguez, Kenneth Sims, like Kenneth Sims has a little bit of name recognition. Uh, he was in the Showtime documentary um, Ringside. Um, he had been featured a little bit on Showbox, but like you said, he's. It's just another... He's mediocre. Another Friday Night Fights sort of 
fighter. Um, I don't expect him to give I don't Rodriguez like too him. much trouble. But at the same time, Rodriguez is in the point of his career where he might have, he he kind of could maybe use a half step back um, at the prospect stage. He does no need to rush him too fast. So I don't mind that one at all. But Zapeda, yeah, it's very much just a um, holding pattern fight. And that that's kind of where 140's been at over the last year or so, waiting for this fight that Top Rank clearly has planned um, when they signed um, Taylor coming out of the World Boxing Super Series was waiting for the Ramirez-Taylor fight to happen before everyone else can kind of get out of their holding patterns at 140. So, while I wish they had a better opponent for Zepeda, um, I understand why it's happening, and, and it's understandable, especially after a fight like he had just had with Baranchik. Why, if I was his team, I probably would be like, yeah, we're going to need a very strict approval over our opponent here. We're, we don't need to get into another war right. for no reason uh, when we're very much secured as the mandatory for however this situation with the four title fight shakes out. Uh, so do you think so you think that Lundy is probably like the right opponent for them? Um purely from a Zapata perspective, yeah, I mean someone who has the opportunity of causing him problems. I think Lundy is about the right level. It's it's just like the Pedro Kempa thing is like, would that be a better fight than Hank Lundy? Do I have any confidence in saying that? No, not necessarily. But it just you it sounds better when you get away with like, oh, uh, a guy with one loss from Mexico or maybe he's undefeated. I don't even remember. It looks but. better on paper. Exactly. It just it comes across. We just know so much about who Hank Lundy is at this point in his career that it's more transparent what sort of matchmaking it is. But once again, I'm. I try not to be someone who just is overly negative about things that are just part of the way boxing is going to be. And the simple fact is, is like Zepeda took on the challenge of the Branchik fight and everyone should kind of understand why this fight, while he's still in this holding pattern coming off of that fight, you shouldn't really have higher expectations of who, he should, who he's going to take as far as an opponent. Yeah, so I mean, to summarize, I think the Taylor Ramirez fight, unfortunately, is a is I don't want to call it a failure because I don't think it's a failure. Um, it certainly should be encouraged, but one of the downfalls I think of it, or that they, yeah, I guess you could say the downfalls of it is that they've failed to come up with a narrative for the fight to sell outside of it just being a prestigious legacy building fight, which in and of itself. As somebody who loves boxing, okay, fine, you're on board with that. It just shows the limitations of how far that can take you by itself. Right. And how necessary it is to use the other parts of promoting a fight that hardcore fans sometimes get uh, annoyed with why you have to do it. Well, don't if you want the four belt undisputed fights to feel like really big events in a way that this one maybe doesn't, you have to kind of concede that there are other elements to promoting other than just going with the, these are, we're getting all the belts together. The best are fighting the best. Um, there is a little more to it. And yeah. this is just a, an example maybe of the limitations of going strictly with that approach. And like the, the issue is that cause like in a vacuum, like as a boxing fan, you're like, well, I don't care. I'm getting what I want. But like on the, on the other hand, as a boxing fan, you care about what's good for the sport. You care about, and especially like at least us on this podcast, this is kind of like the angle we take. Where it's like, no, no, no. 
why is we want the sport to keep continuing to take the next step you know it's on fox right now that's cool it's on espn cool but how do you put the best foot forward and this is the best foot forward for top rank at least that that they saw and it's kind of like what you would expect to be like well what is like the thing that you do to put on tv that people will like obviously everyone's going to gravitate to how does this cross over and it's like we see this right now there's really no buzz to the fight Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah, that's an issue. That's something that we're going to talk about because, like, we see that as, like, all right, that's a problem. If there's no buzz to this fight, uh, there should be. This fight is important. It matters. And it's probably going to be entertaining. Yeah. I, I think it will be entertaining. I, mean, I think both guys have a generally um, fan-friendly style. And, I mean, as someone, I, I mean, I the kind of approach we take with this podcast and just uh, our views on kind of boxing in general, it's important that the best fighters are reaching bigger audiences. Yes. Because it's fine to have fighters who aren't the best to reach big audiences. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, for example, an Adrian Broner, guys who get fan bases, but it's not necessarily the best. Um, But we were spoiled for the generation that we kind of saw over the last 20 years where the best fighters, Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather, were the most popular fighters. Vladimir Klitschko. And had the biggest reach. And to try to take for granted that that will always be the case is is short-sighted as a boxing fan. And so you should want to see the guys who are going to achieve the most in the sports, who are like the real blue blood talents of the sport. You want to see them also become people that the public recognizes and can get behind because that's what's going to... I mean, and that's fun about boxing, isn't it? Isn't it fun when your friends that aren't boxing fans are interested in a big fight coming up? Like, isn't that, isn't that kind of some of the best part, the social aspect of boxing um, as a sport is one of the best aspects of it. So it's certainly... I mean, while maybe everyone doesn't take that approach to looking at boxing, I don't think that... I think that that's what you come to this podcast for, and that is kind of like our space in the boxing sphere, or whatever it is, is looking at these other things that are. I mean, they're a part of the boxing world. Matt says that we should, if we wanted the podcast to be bigger, we should start to think about putting rumors. Talk about rumors. He says that that's very, very popular. Oh, rumors. Yeah, rumors. All right. Can you think of some some good rumors right now? Uh, Roly versus King Rai uh, is the next fight. Where? Where? Saudi Arabia? No, I think that one... Take that one to like... Uh, I don't know. Some large property in in LA. Get <laughs> a, YouTube, a YouTuber party. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's see. What other rumors do we got? And it's hard. We like That's like a different mindset to get into. To think about rumors. I don't care about rumors. Rumors... Rumors are they, apparently leave, people love I'll that. I leave the rumors to Mike Coppinger's tweets. <laughs> he can tweet about the rumors. That's fine. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rate it, review it. You got feedback, send it in. Uh, even if I don't reply to you, I'm very slow to do replies, so I will at some point. But if you've got feedback, you can send that in too. Uh, we have a Patreon. You can go to that. Uh, Patreon.com slash Sunday Puncher. That gets you access to our chat. Is as low as one dollar, people. And um, let's see. Shout out to the Tim Boxale podcast. Follow uh, Ranger Rollins on Twitter to get news. Um, really, your account is good because it's like 
you're going to get news first, but you'll also just know about everything that's happening. Um, whether it be like purse bids that are getting ordered or like fights that get ordered from the sanctioning bodies, you get that over at the Ranger Rollins Twitter account. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you'd like. I mean, I don't have that many followers. Not everyone else. I, 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 I mean, like, I created all of this. I have the lowest amount of, of followers. Yo, man, it's like you're the man behind the behind the scenes pulling the strings. You I know, will. You're, you're uh, dare I say, the uh, Al Hyman of the Sunday. I'm gonna, I'm gonna slowly take myself away, <laughs> and then just radio silence from there. You know, I just want to thank uh, I just want to thank Nora Argent, aka Real Rolling Pin, uh, for making all this possible. <laughs> Shout out Angelo of the Sunny Puncher Podcast. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, B10 as well. Yes, B10. Shout out uh, Babu10 Media Mogul Worldwide um, Management Company. Uh, B10 is really the actual. Um, we are the, actually the, the person who's been uh, calling Dana White every white prank calling him. Say we're yeah, to, on, to on behalf thriller. of Triller, yes. Um, <laughs> also, B10, um, deep in the discussions with uh, Prince Khalid for the undisputed heavyweight title fight. Um, if it does happen, it will be courtesy of um, B10. So, shout out. We're putting together a package for uh, the winner of Neri or uh, Figueroa and Fulton to fight Akhmedaliev in Chile. Yeah, we're taking, taking the big one to Chile. It's going to be... Um, the highest altitude uh, <laughs> fight of all time. We're going to do it on a mountain. Um, we're going to get DAZN to cover it. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a big deal. So shout out. Look out for B10 um, promotions. Look at those rumors right there. High altitude uh, fights. And uh, thank you guys for listening. This uh, Shout out to all the patrons. Shout out to everybody who's in the chat. Um, putting in good work. I haven't been too active this past weekend. Because, uh, you know, Deuce and I have been sitting in on a lot of meetings. We uh, met with some fighters. Who did we meet with this weekend? We met with, uh, met with Victor Ortiz. Yeah, Victor Ortiz. We met with uh, Zab Judah. We discussed a potential fight between those two. Yeah, I mean, I know that Super Judah was um, really interested in potentially facing uh, Xavier Martinez. He's <laughs> going after that interim WBA 130-pound title. Um, believe it or not, Zab was looking in great shape. Looked like he could probably make 135 um, tomorrow and 130 if we gave him two weeks. So, uh, yeah, look look out for the return of Super Judah. We discussed the um, potential return with Abner Mars. Uh, yes, we did. Um, also discussed Rolly's future. Uh, we do have to keep that one a little bit tight lipped, as there is big. There's a big um, big news coming out of that, um, but that's exclusive to the um b10 family um who else did we talk to david benavides uh david benavides big things we're looking out uh we had we had we had a, we went to a seminar on mental health ah uh, yes insensitivity yes. around mental health um mental health and how to approach media training um <laughs> it was very educational um yeah learned a lot gotta say <laughs> <laughs> all right guys we're going to leave it right here. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, we'll be back next week. Peace.